still remembers Pampiro Furpo? Who booked the screw job in Montreal? Who has a good friend named Weasel Dooley? Everyone knows it's corny. Who managed Bobby Eaton and Condry? Who managed Stan Lane and Dr. Tom? Who's sick and tired of Kenny Olivier? Everyone knows it's corny. Who took a shoot, fought off of the scaffolding? Who bled a gusher in a white suit? Who said Ronnie Garvin went up like the challenger? Everyone knows it's corny. It's Jim Cornette's drive through He'll answer questions from you And he won the pony too Thank you, fuck you, bye 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 Hello again, friends! And you are our friends And welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's drive Through Right here on another beautiful day Somewhere For some of you but we're going to have a beautiful show here today. It's been guaranteed. I'm your host, the great Brian Last. And here's the man guaranteeing a great show, Mr. Jim Cornette. Waiter, how, how did I get involved in your money-back guarantee scheme here? How have I been implicated now? My, my career, my credibility, my name, my reputation is on the, my integrity is now on the line here because you have vouched to the people, to the people for the fact that this is going to be a good show before we've even done it. And you know I'm already at a handicap because this is your show, so I can only do so much. I don't know if I want to be just brought, just grouped into this goddamn warranty that you've spread out here, that you've perpetrated across the the globe like a blanket just everybody's gonna love this show right jim i don't know what kind of mood are you in today do we have anything entertaining to talk about raw certainly didn't help a lot i know a lot of people got the warm fuzzy feelings about seeing the nostalgic superstars of days gone by but the application of same left something to be desired. We'll talk about that. But anyway, I, I don't want to be drug in on this with you. It's what I'm trying to communicate to you. This is entirely up. This is your show, and it's entirely up to you. You have not you have not given me any reason to believe that I should go ahead and jump in on that guarantee that this is going to be a great show. So you do not guarantee it'll be a great show. I don't guarantee it. We, we hope for the best. You, we're going we're gonna to try. Do you we, guarantee we, you will try your best? Well, I don't know now. I see you can't. You can't even guarantee effort. Look at that. The le- You can't even guarantee effort. The less a man makes declarative statements, the less likely he is to be proven a fool in retrospect. Let's just feel this out and see how it goes. What I'm saying to you. What's your social security number? Well, it's 400-shut-your-fucking-face. <laughs> That's what it is. All righty. I'll tell you one thing. That here's something now that doesn't happen up in New York. Happened down here, and this is this is not a funny story, but it's a goddamn unusual story. It's a freak accident, is what it is. They don't have these up there in New York City, where you're from, in Manhattan, and the Big Apple with the worm in it and everything. But most places in the country, and you've traveled around the country, 
when you're driving down the interstate, especially when you're not in a big downtown area, when you're just out in the suburbs, you're driving down the interstate and every exit, they have the giant signs for the gas stations and the restaurants. They're 75 feet high. They're up on those giant poles. They alert you to the fact a mile and a half, two miles away, get off here to get your gas. If it's Taco Bell or get off here to fuel up if it's an Exxon station or whatever it may be. You've seen these signs I'm talking about. Of course. South of the border, if you're driving down to Florida, you famously you'll see those all over the place. Fireworks in the Carolinas. Yes, yes. But I'm, I mean, the, the big, the big giant, you see signs of every description, but I'm talking about the big ones that are like 80 feet high with the big poles for the gas stations and the, and the restaurants and things of that nature, these giant ones. Oh yeah, of course. They got, it's not just mom and pop's fireworks. Well, it was on the news here day before yesterday, because of course now it's freezing again. We're about to have a few inches of snow, but a few days ago it was Almost 70 degrees, we were having severe thunderstorms. And the wind gusts got up to 60 miles an hour down in Elizabethtown, down at our friends down in E-Town. And there's a Denny's restaurant down there. It may not be for too long. Old Denny's chain may be going out of business here pretty safe. Closed a bunch of the Denny's in this town anyway. I've, we're known for our, our culinary uh, uh, criteria, so Denny's has been run out. But there was still there's still one down in E-Town. Get it while you can. So apparently, this woman and her, well, a woman and her husband, and I think it was their daughter, but these, these are like grandparents. So it's like 70-something-year-old woman and her husband and their daughter, who's of, probably of almost my age, are just driving through the parking lot at the Denny's off the interstate down in E-Town. And hopefully they at least got their fucking lunch first instead of coming in for it because the high winds took the Den the giant Denny's sign. They said it weighed 2,600 pounds and blew it off the top of that thing. Oh my those God. Those big poles and it landed on their car. And killed this this woman. Uh, her granddaughter's been on the news talking about it because it killed this woman. The, her husband, the old man, was a cancer patient that had just apparently, cause I guess they were on their way back home to Columbia or somewhere. It's about 100 miles from here or whatever. Probably in the big city up at the hospital, and they've just let him out to go home apparently where he went home and was in hospice care, but they, it, it injured him and he died like 36 hours later. And the daughter, they were trapped in this thing for 45 minutes before the, the authorities could get them out of this thing. So anyway, that's, that's the news around here. Don't, do not not only park. Don't under, leave your house. Do not, do don't not leave your drive house. under any sign of any description in a high wind. Because and I got to say, we'll we'll talk about him later in the program. But Stephen P. New, Stephen P. New, Stephen P. New. If you folks down there are within the sound of my voice, um, but you, can you believe that? They're driving through the Denny's parking lot and they're fucking Ford and bam. The, the the sign weighed as much as a mid-sized car and came from like 75 feet in the air. So don't leave your house. Yeah, that's don't another good house. 
Don't leave the house. Can this be your show this week? I don't know how to follow that up. Well, I'll tell you what. You know, it's a good... I'll just get it out of the way then. <laughs> Everybody in the world is talking about what's coming up this Saturday, January 28th at noon Eastern time around the free world. It's, of course, the annual St. Valentine's Day Massacameo celebration where I, me, myself, Jim Cornette, do video messages personalized to members of the cult of Cornette out there through the fine folks at Cameo. And you can go to Cameo, C-A-M-E-O dot com slash Jim Cornette. You'll see my profile there that indicates that we will be doing this this Saturday. Or you can just go to jimcornette.com and click on the Cameo button on the home page, and it will take you directly to the aforesaid place where you can find out all about this. And more importantly, Nab on to one of them when the time comes at noon on Saturday because we're limiting to about 80. And that, did I say that? 80, lady? Hey. Like Jerry Lewis now. Or Bill We're limiting it to about 80 messages because that's the amount of time that we have that week to shoot and fulfill these. But whatever, I will give your sweetie a kissing or a cussing for Valentine's Day. I've said that before, but. Even if it's for you, if nobody else loves you for Valentine's Day, I'll love you for a fee. And I think we've established what that means. But no, I and and hey, maybe it's not all. Maybe the because the, a lot of the ladies out there, they at this time of year, they they take advantage of these cameos and give them to their their boyfriends or significant others or whatever the case that are fans of mine. Ours, even Brian, some of them even like you. They, you know, their standards are lower. And but in, it, I've got to think also that there's some guy out there. His his lady just has a crush on me. Is just head over heels infatuated with me. So you know, it could be that way too. And I, but I can, I can say whatever is is legal. And as I mentioned, I can make some veiled threats if we can figure out a way to get it past the authorities. But maybe maybe I could even sing some romantic or seductive songs to the intended uh, Valentine this year. What if you sing the threats? I could sing the threats. I'm going to come and kill you. No, <laughs> it, it would sound a little more palatable if I put it to a jaunty tune about how I was going to rip their spleens out. Or I could just, I could just pitch a little woo, you know, I gave it for, for the ladies, uh, you know, a little jaunty, uh, Close your eyes, spread your legs, and I'll fertilize your eggs, and I'll send all my sperm into you. Something like that. I'm a Beatles fan. I've never heard that version. I'm 43. I've never heard that version. I'll pretend that I'm kissing the tits I've been missing and penetrate you in my arms. And then while you're away, I'll jack off every day, and I'll save all my sperm for you. All my sperm I will give to you. See, I can be romantic. <laughs> I can be a romantic do you motherfucker. Only, do so, you only do their early material or do you do any stuff after Sgt. Pepper? No, well, there's also, there's <laughs> there's a variety of things. I don't think I can say that one. It's, it's, it involves one of the words we can't say even on the YouTube. But uh, it's a later hit. We'll talk about that off the air. But, <laughs> now I'm in my head. I'm trying to figure out what song yeah. <laughs> All right. Nevertheless, that, so that's this Saturday, the 28th at jimcornett.com. By the way, of course, Cornette's Collectibles is open for the lazy booking t-shirts, the Cornette face t-shirts, the 
Behind the Curtain graphic novel, the final remaining pink and red raw debut variant action figures, how they were at 50 or 60 or thereabouts, and we're almost ready to close that one down, folks. And so much more. It's always there awaiting you. The Feather Bottoms ultra-careful handling system. What more can I say? Back to you, Brian. Back to me. Swami's barking at the FedEx man who's uh, outside right now. So I apologize for any of that noise you hear in the background. I find that, that Harley is more vehement with her barking when, when UPS, FedEx, mailman, whoever is coming up and actually bringing something in their hand with them. Because she, she sits in front of the front door all, almost all day long and stares out and keeps an eye on the road. If somebody, car is driving up and down the road, she won't bark. But if somebody pulls into the driveway, she'll bark. If somebody on foot even walks past the, down the road past the uh, property, she will bark. But if somebody brings something in their hand, she'll go, rah, rah, rah. He will bark at any car that pulls to the front of this house that isn't one of ours, which is the amazing part of it. Because I'm like, does he recognize my Wait, he car? recognizes? Wait, what is he, a car fanatic or whatever? But if I pull up to the front of the house to come in the house, he won't bark. If the mailman, the FedEx man, the UPS man, the morons from Laser Ship, whoever it may be, if they come to the house, he'll go nuts. Well, maybe there's something to that then. Was it Rocky Raccoon? I'm dying to know which song was the filthy song. I'm going to keep guessing. <laughs> was it Rocky Raccoon? No, it wasn't. Okay. All right. Well, we have a lot of things to talk about and we should let it be. Was it let it be? We should let it be here on the show and talk about the latest wrestling story, the latest wrestling news. That, that's actually another Harley P song. Letter P, letter P, letter P, letter P. Her bladder is a full one. Letter P. Letter P. Do you have any other Beatles songs that are clean that you can do on the air? <laughs> <laughs> See, you're the one that put that guarantee out, pal. And here we are. We're not even into it yet. You're, you're doing a great job. I, I feel like I'm on the air with Murray the K. I don't know what to do right now. <laughs> but that's better than being on the air with Stan the Big K Kowalski. That's right. Well, I guess I never thought of him as a DJ. Stan Lane is more of a DJ. And Raw could use a DJ because the commentators suck. <laughs> but let's talk about Monday Night Raw, Raw 30, or as some may unfortunately have put into their search browser, Raw XXX. And who knows what comes up at that point. But Raw 30, Jim. Oh, my God. That's right. You know, that could be misconstrued. Raw XXX. That was well, the name of the video I saw. Raw XXX. Misconscrewed. Misconscrewed. Uh, well, Air Pilgrim, I'll say one thing about it. Uh, the, you said the commentators, but I don't think James Earl Jones could have narrated this son of a bitch. And well, when I say the commentators suck, let me be a little more uh, clear about it. Because I really specific? thought a lot about it. Yeah, I'll be specific. Corey Graves isn't the problem. And I've not been the biggest fan of his in the past, and he goes way too heavy into the corporate speak, especially when Vince was more active in the past. He's not the problem. And he talks in a voice like this. He's not the problem. The other guy who sounds like he's worried, and he's out of breath, and he's so afraid he's going to be sent home. That's the problem. They don't gel well he, together because of that he voice. He does, yes. That kid looks like the new kid in school that's being bullied and is afraid to speak up out loud. He's not confident yet. 
No. And play, and the voice also it doesn't and you know and and our friends across the pond know that I love the accents, but he doesn't sound like. You know, Lawrence Olivier. He's he sounds more like you know fucking. Uh, oh goddamn! I could have done a great simile. Like Neil could, on the Young Ones. That's no, what he if like. I could remember that the goddamn kid's name that played. Uh, uh, Oliver in Oliver in the musical 1968. Oh, Jack Wilde was not Oliver. He was uh, he was Fagan. the Artful was, Dodger. The Artful Dodger. That's, That's right. right. Well, nevertheless, whatever that little fucking puny kid's name was, <laughs> after I've already blown it. All right. <laughs> and only six people would have got the fucking reference anyway. But there you go. So they started it off, and we said that. Whatever Hulk Hogan does, he's not going to get any on him, right? He's not going to be humiliated. He's not going to be shown in any disrespectful or bad light or asked or expected to do anything that he can't do. But goddamn it, if they, if they didn't give him a bad microphone. He he started the whole thing before even the, you know, the open. Here comes Real American and here comes Hulk Hogan and Jimmy Hart and Bless Jimmy Hart's little pea-picking heart. He will be 80 this year or next. I've lost track. And did you, he was doing the cheerleading and hopping around. I hope I make it. I hope I'm not a fucking head in a jar like on Futurama by the time I'm 80. And look at Jimmy. Uh, he moves better than Hogan does. But anyway, Hogan did the promo from the entrance way. And besides his... The mic would cut out and cut out a couple of times, just missed a couple of words, and then they ran him a new one. And son of a gun, he didn't say fuck on live TV over that. It's almost like he knew better than to do that. Uh, but he gave the rah, rah, rah 30 speech and did, you know, what you're going to do. And they played the music and Jimmy waved some more. And that was it. And. <sighs> It wasn't bad because you got to see Hulk Hogan and Jimmy Hart, but it didn't set high expectations for, you know, see, that's part of the thing is when they advertise these names, especially so many of them, and we mentioned this on last week's experience, there ain't enough time for all of them to do anything pithy and but at the same time, people in their minds they expect they're going to oh Hulk Hogan oh shit and he comes out he talks for sixty seconds and thanks everybody for coming and you never see him again. Is that a letdown? Whether it's live or the live audience or the viewing audience on TV or are they just happy? Cause, well, he's there. What do you think? I don't know. It goes with Hogan, but it goes with the whole general conversation about the proper way to use legends. In wrestling, because wrestling uses them the way no one else in sports uses them. And I mean, there aren't too many great examples of legends returning to TV shows, but usually if someone returns to a TV show, it's not to just be beaten down or anything or shown to look bad. With Hogan specifically, there was something incredibly humorous about him talking without the mic picking anything up and not realizing it. Jimmy Hart's out there like a cheerleader. No, it, in in all honesty, no, I've been there because I've been a, in a bunch of low budget fucking television production situations. You can't tell because unless it, when you're in a big building like that, 
even a good PA system, it takes you a second because you're hearing yourself, obviously, and people are making noise and you are assuming that you're going out because you've, you've heard yourself go out. So as you're talking, it's easy to go a few words without realizing that they're not hearing you. Uh, but beyond that, you know, it was Hulk Hogan doing an intro. He says he was there from the very beginning. I mean, he was there for a few months after the show kicked off, and that was when people started <laughs> booing him. He was gone for almost 10 years. Yeah, and then he just disappeared <laughs> uh, after the photographer's flash. So I really don't know what to say about that. When it comes to the use of legends, do you think, I mean, we've seen different things. Like when Slamboree first started, they would do something cool where they would introduce everyone. Everyone would come out on the stage one by one and they would introduce all the legends and then you get a few legends matches and a few interviews of legends interspersed throughout the show. I remember they did an all-star game, I think it was 99, where before the game they had the greatest living baseball players alive on the field introduced and it was an incredible spectacle. Do you think if you bring a Hulk Hogan back, if you bring a DX back, if you bring anyone, Ric Flair, they have to be incorporated in what's happening on the show? Or do you think people would support and watch a wrestling legends show one week, not a pay-per-view, but one week in the spot of a Raw or something, where you have 50 legends, but they're introduced, they're given time, they're given videos to show their career. Do you think there's a way other than the way they're using legends, use legends, and do you think there's a respectable way where instead of Hulk Hogan coming out there like that, Hulk Hogan wears a suit, and he's introduced, and people clap, and he waves. Other than, like, the Hall of Fame, is there a way to maybe make it so it's not this? I mean, because it's always this. You know, someone said the other day, the FTR thing where they got beaten down by DX, that was Raw 25. That means the Legends <laughs> thing we saw in between where the big show and Mark Henry got sent off, that was just a random Legends show, but it's always the same Legends doing the same things and the same kind of skits, and I don't think it works. Uh, all of the above, you know, here, Hogan's such a big personality that, and also to be honest, he's, he can only do him, right? He can't, when he's Hogan on, he's the disingenuous, you know, and that's right, brother type of thing. He can't. He never evolved in his promo to the next generation where he got out of the say your prayers and take your vitamins and blah, 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 and can actually have a goddamn toe-to-toe argument back and forth with somebody like a fucking Owens that's quick and could shred him if he was allowed to, right? So Hogan's a big personality, and you got to kind of do the Hogan stuff. But with some... Again, some t- legends should be there. Why can't you, with with Hogan, if you don't want to interact him with any of the current guys, they do such great packages. Do a package on the third, you know, third because they own all the footage now. WCW, thirty years of Hulk Hogan's transformation from the first Raw show he was on, because he was only there for a couple months. The third, blah blah blah, or whatever. And again, show it on the screen and the viewers can see it and then let him come out and do the full-blown thing in the ring or maybe his hip was bad, he couldn't get in the ring. That seemed to be possibly a recurring theme. And, you know, and let him be himself. That's not necessarily that bad, but 
with some of the other legends, instead of Mike Rotunda being IRS and coming in and confiscating the poker game money for ha-ha, and everybody knows that's bullshit anyway, and, and, yeah, and IRS was his WWF gimmick, but why not do an IRS package for 60 seconds and then show him sitting at ringside as Mike Rotunda there because now he's the goddamn what is he to Bray Wyatt? I've forgotten their family. He's the father of Bray Wyatt. He's Bray Wyatt's father. So have people know that because they're playing now to the internet crowd and let L.A. Knight come down there and jerk Bray Wyatt's father over the fucking rail and smack him around or something. To in, instead of the, what we got, which we'll talk about later, or with uh, well, there was Medusa there playing poker. You know why couldn't she interact with one of the modern heel women, even if it's verbally, to try to enhance something that they're doing instead of she's a former women's champion and groundbreaking trailblazer, and and her part was to play poker. In the back, in pre-tapes. See, that's, uh, that's the thing. Instead of using a Medusa, or a Lunger Blaze in this case, as a background player, if they had put together a two-minute video explaining everything you just said, showing clips from WCW, from WWE, they probably wouldn't license anything from Japan for this, and then introducing her to the crowd without it being a joke, don't you think people would stand up and applaud? Well, yeah, and, th- and then she could also say to one of these whiny modern girls, the heels, to put her in her place, oh, you think you've got it so hard and blah, blah, blah. They have a performance center and you have, you're being flown everywhere and you're on national television when I, and there's all kinds of women and you have all kinds of opportunities. You know, when... Back in my day, when I was the women's champion in the AWA, the women's roster was two of us. And we had to ride in a fucking van with goddamn Mad Dog Vashon pissing in a jar or whatever, right? And just something like that. As we'll go through, maybe we'll come up with some ideas as we go through and mention some of these names. But nevertheless. Hey, Jim, before we move on, I actually want to stop you with some breaking news. And it's about something we were going to talk about later in the show, but this is such a Interesting development that I want to stop the show now and talk to you about it. Okay. A tweet has gone out from Tony Khan uh, a little less than 20 minutes ago as we are recording. Tomorrow, January 25th, Lexington, Kentucky, live on TBS, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, Wednesday night, AEW Dynamite, Mark Briscoe versus Jay Lethal. Whoa! Requested by both men to celebrate the life and legacy of the late, great Jay Briscoe on his 39th birthday, his longtime friend and rival, Jay Lethal, versus his brother, Mark Briscoe. And Dave Meltzer is reporting, AEW has confirmed Warner Brothers Discovery changed its policy on Mark Briscoe. He's allowed to appear going forward. I said we were going to talk about this later. Word was going around as of this morning that Mark Briscoe was not allowed on Dynamite, and it has been reversed. And about goddamn time. And do you think 
that because that could have been the final straw when because that's what uh, Uncle Dave had reported and several other fairly prominent sites, not just, you know, gossip sites had reported that still Mark Briscoe wasn't going to be allowed to be on the programming who he had said and done absolutely nothing. And I saw a bunch of tweets when I got up this morning from people tagging the various Warner Brother TBS accounts. And and by the way, we mentioned on the experience, I had, well, I've now had dozens and dozens of people either tweet or email a name of it saying, that's the no good son of a bitch. And of course, it's all different names because they have, everybody's in charge of some kind of something over there at that company. But do you think they finally got tired of fielding all these angry tweets from wrestling fans and, and I assume emails and whoever has done whatever else they've done? Well, Dave is now reporting, it just went out, AEW is also cleared to honor Jay on the show tomorrow night. Boom! There you go. So the people, in this case, have spoken. I bet you that they saw the level of animosity that they were getting and somebody somewhere reversed a decision because they probably didn't want to be, didn't want it to go on any longer because they'd narrow it down at, at some point to exactly who this was and what their name was. Maybe they also saw the level of love that everyone was showing the family and on the uh, way to raise money for the family and the local community. I mean, it became a big story, and yeah, everyone. I mean, it's been universal love from everyone. And and maybe at that point they were ashamed of themselves, as they should be. Well, that's good, and and because I even saw people tweeting, demanding or uh, challenging them, uh, the Warner Brothers Discovery people to contribute to uh, the fundraiser for Jay's family since. They wouldn't contribute to anything else while he was around to take advantage of it. What do you think of Mark Briscoe versus Jay Lethal? Let's preview that for a second while we're talking I, about this. For the first time, I think, in recorded history, I am actually overjoyed at the thought of seeing a match on AEW television. If they give them time to do what they can do, and if they don't try to do too much and get hurt in the process, that's probably going to be one of the better wrestling matches that we will see on that television program before and after. I have to think it's universal that everyone is going to be just delighted to see Mark on that show. And it's going to, you know, I got to say, seeing this news now, I'm really looking forward now to see this match. And boy, you know, put that on first. If anything can possibly hold the big bangers, do a nice package explaining who Jay was and what happened and segue right into that match and give them the first first quarter hour and part of the second one, and I bet you they would keep a significant portion of that audience. Well, that's the big news, the breaking news. Mark Briscoe versus Jay Lethal on Dynamite. Certainly, you'll hear this review this weekend on The Experience. But, Jim, let's get back to something. That and, you... and by the way, if it was Tony or whoever else stood up or if it was the, uh, the fans just by popular demand or whatever. Or the wrestlers. Or the wrestlers. Everybody. Anyway, so we're back to Raw. Sadly. Oh, boy. Yeah. 
Raw, as a matter of fact, it certainly was. As the the retrospective video they did of the pro at the top of the program. Again, it's great. It's incredible editing. They have a fantastic, you know, technical staff and the research work by the production assistants and the logging of all those shows and those moments and everything was incredible. And it was a lot of stars and a lot of moments. And again, I'm afraid it reinforces that the the old names were bigger and the old moments were more momentous. Uh, Let's talk about that video. It was really good. It was really cool seeing all those clips. But let's talk about who wasn't in the video. Because they had Jericho. They had Brian Danielson. It's hard to ignore those guys when you're talking about the history of Raw. They ignored CM Punk. They ignored Sasha Banks. (laughs) What does that tell you? Well, it tells me that... uh, I, I, I know that they Punk's a big admission. He was a big part of that show for a long time. I I mean, the Sasha thing, while that's up in the air and, and in all honesty, they got three minutes for all the great moments on raw or whatever. I don't know if Sasha would qualify that strongly. Anyway, punk is a, a different issue with Danielson and Jericho. They know that Jericho's got a 10-year contract or whatever. He was kind enough to let everybody know about that. So it's not like that they are trying to say, oh, all is forgiven. You can come home whenever you can get out of that madhouse. So is it just to kind of show, hey, we don't really see this as a threat anymore? The big show was in the clip where they collapsed the ring, right? Mark Henry was in bed with Mae Young. I Mark Henry was in bed with, well, and, and I'm talking about just the television program. Here. No, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> kidding. I, Josh. She's dead, Jim. <laughs> well, <laughs> are you blaming Mark? <laughs> what? Uh, well, back to the retrospective. The other way around, I've been worried about Mark. Back to the I... retrospective. Back. <laughs> back to the retrospective. So anyway, but... um. But yeah, that is, well, at the same time, it may not show that there's heat with punk. It may show that they don't want to get, if there's any kind of, a guy's in the middle of potentially what could be a legal situation, I don't know that they want to, uh, they want to get any of that on them. But nevertheless, by the way, we should notate that they did the commercial free first hour gimmick. and. I don't know if that threw them off for the rest of the show, but boy, this was a long first hour, wasn't it? Well, I don't, I don't know. They could have told the story that they told with the bloodline in the first hour in maybe about 10 minutes less. I got to be honest with you, because this did go a while, but at the same time, it's the top guys in the company. And it's the only thing that wasn't, really legend oriented and remember this was going to be because apparently they were going to have a tribal council where they had Afa and Sika Afa and Siki Afa and Sika and Rikishi Siki. St- stop his sweet daddy couldn't make it down from Toronto <laughs> um, but Sika the porn star was available oh my god is she still blonde I wonder probably gray now 
Uh, anyway, they couldn't, apparently they couldn't travel. They couldn't make it. So they changed it to the trial of Sami Zayn. But from the time that the bloodline. Yeah, they didn't get their, the rock. That's why they changed it. Well, from the time the bloodline made their entrance until the time the promo was over, it was almost 25 minutes and is good. But G Manelli, all right. So, and, and five minutes is the, the entrance of the bloodline. And I know they're stars again, but I just think that they contribute during the time that they're making this grand entrance, the announcers are fleshing out the story. But as you said, a lot of times tune out the announcers. And secondly, I think a lot of people, if they're DVRing or even pausing for commercials, they skip past the announcers setting the shit up because they know by now this is a five minute entrance. And if you have the ability to skip it, aren't you at this point? If you have hearing issues with different pitches, there's a chance you only hear Corey Graves on this show. <laughs> you know, well, and that's that's nothing because I have uh, problems because of the pyro damage that's been done to me in the past uh, with my hearing to begin with, and it is hard when they're when they get the music going in whole nine yards. But anyway, it's it's, it's a lot of the show is zippable because of the length of the entrances and the commercial breaks and the. Various gaga before you get to anything. But everybody there, it's Roman and Heyman and Solo and Usos and poor Sammy. And they're all around the conference table. And Paul is prosecuting Sammy Zayn for, you know, basically being a, a traitor and a turncoat. And <laughs> when the fans were chanting ECW, Paul said, ECW is dead and I wish the same for Sammy Zayn. Last week, he was schmooly, right? <laughs> schmooly. Uh, but the fans are chanting Sammy, and Paul's telling Roman and everybody that Sammy's a traitor, and he's in conspiracy with Kevin Owens, and they came up with a video of Sammy a couple times in the past, either not helping the bloodline or being day late and dollar short or whatever. It tied in a number of things that they've done in finishes and angles over the past couple months. It is very clever. I'd like to think that they meant to do this from the start, but I guarantee you one or two of those enterprising production assistants had to be the one to go back and log all this footage and figure out a way to make sense out of it. Heyman was great. Heyman was fantastic. When he showed, he goes, here's him showing four life. What does he want to join the NWO? The horseman? What is this? <laughs> the dangerous alliance? <laughs> He had to get that one in there. Uh, and then he accuses Sammy of assault. They had a clip when Sammy did a promo and accidentally kind of bumped into Roman Reigns. And see, he was trying to take over his head of the table. And Paul demanded that Sammy Zayn be found guilty. I'll tell you, if he had played the fucking part of William Jennings Bryan and inherit the wind, it would have goddamn even been greater. What did they call William Jennings Bryan and in Inherit the Wind? What was his name? God damn it. I just watched that the other night. I didn't. Ah, anyway, it was a thinly veiled uh, serialization of the Scopes Monkey trial. Uh, so finally, Sammy is just, he's shitting himself, right? He's looking at all of it, and he says, Paul, it hurts coming from you. All those times you hugged me, you said you loved me. 
And he did a, a great job of being indignant at this whole thing. And he, he doesn't need to defend himself. He had, his defense is he has no defense. This is all just completely made up out of whole cloth. And then Roman gets mad because what the, but no defense. You won't even argue for this. You won't fight for this. I've given you this. And he sends Solo over to give him the spike. And Sammy looks like the guy that's about to be executed. He's just standing there, you know, sitting there waiting for it. And Solo's about to give him the spike. And Jay blocks Solo's thumb, catches his arm. And Jay said, wait, wait, wait a minute. And apparently Jay started talking quick. Apparently somebody had give him the Iggy. This needs to move along. Because Jay put together a video and it just pops up. And there is like five or six things that Sammy has done to help them where he's, he's eaten the Claymore kick for Roman and he's uh, prevented somebody else from making a save. And he's been there right at the moment. And the fans are, but here's the thing again. Because they've created this situation. The fans are now cheering the video of one of the heels, Sami Zayn, screwing all of the baby faces. <laughs> but that's where we're at. And so Jay, of all people, the guy that, you know, he's, I hated you, but, you know, but now you've proven yourself. You didn't give up. And, and your family. And Paul, meanwhile, in the corner, facially is having a snit over there. And the fans are chanting Sammy Uso. And finally, Roman uh, declares him, I find you not guilty for now. And basically, he says, finish tonight and then disappear till the Royal Rumble. I don't want to see you. And if you can pass your final test, then we'll see if you're bloodline or not. So again, a tease for the pay-per-view. Very nice. But by the time that they've, Finished that interview. Remember, we said Hogan welcomed us and we got a package. And this interview, we're half an hour in the show. And then we come back from the break, and the first match is the Usos. No, it wasn't a break because it's commercial free. They just went to the announcers for a second and come back to the ring. And there's the Usos, and here comes a judgment day. And now for the Raw Tag Team title, we got Judgment Day, Dominic and Priest against the Usos, and Ripley and Finn and Sammy are in the corners, and again, I'm like, who are the heels? But since all of the babyface tag teams practically they've got are the shits, these are the two coolest teams. Why aren't the Usos babyfaces? Even though Roman's clearly a heel, based on everything we've seen, aren't they kind of babyface? Well, but then they can't really be baby faces if they're hanging out with a heel and Paul Heyman's the wise man and they've been presented as heels for the past three years. But that's family. That's family for the, you. Well, but the, the people are cheering for them, especially whatever they're on Sammy's side. So at least now, if I guess they would be the in the baby face sympathetic position here against judgment day who are full fledged heels apparently. And they worked hard in this match, but at the same point, did, are you seeing a pattern that we've been talking about for the past few weeks? They start having this match and the people zone out in the arena. They're kind of sitting there and part of it, cause it went a while 
Because there's another, I think, 20 minutes of this match of the same people they've seen interacting in the ring for 20-something minutes. And the main problem is, on Raw, the the interviews are important, the moments, the debuts are important, the returns are important, and then the matches are where everybody just gets ready for the next one of the things I just mentioned. And every once in a while, if somebody breaks a piece of furniture or takes a bump that looks like it paralyzes them, people pop. But otherwise, WWE crowds, <laughs> they're trained that the matches are the interludes in the in the drama. So Finn Balor interfered and got ejected at one point. And then I like the story they told in this match. It's just everything's taken so long. Usa, Jimmy does a dive and hurts his leg and everything comes to a halt. And there's a conference and all the, the doctors and Pierce and he's helped to the back. The referee says he can't continue and Pierce tells him they're going to forfeit. But then Sammy agrees to take his place and then the place wakes up. And Pierce agrees to it and the match continues and Sammy starts shining. We're 45 minutes into the program now, but now they're actually kind of giving a shit about this. I'm not, so it's a great, they structured this well. Just took him a while to get there. I and, thought he may have hurt his knee at first because when it happened and before Sammy came out, I rewound it several times. I was watching live just to see how he landed. And then by the time I was back to real TV or real time, Sammy was out there. You know, and, and uh, again, job. that's the thing is that you know, they knew they were going to kick it up a notch when they substitute Sammy for one of the Usos. And that's the natural place where people should have got more invested. But I'm just saying it took them a while to get there, especially with what they did later in this program. I don't know what. Nevertheless, they did a couple of fucking uh, nice false finishes back and forth. And then finally, uh, Sammy and Jay. Uso hit the 1D on Dominic and Sammy covered him in 1, 2, 3. And that was great. And it was a great final five minutes, as I said. But by the time they did all of that business, it was over 40 minutes from start to finish. But I, after I saw some of the other stuff, I'm there, well, be thankful for small favors, I guess. Yeah, it was over 40 minutes on a three-hour show, and it just happened to contain the most captivating storyline they have. So I can't complain too much, although it did go a while but i like the <laughs> opening segment the match I see I, I was just giving them credit for they'd have somewhere else to go from there with every big star that's still breathing practically in in the locker room that they've ever had on a show but it was all downhill from here fans really got into it after sammy got involved sammy is super over right now we should probably talk about that in a second but i just want to say because i've complimented him several times recently dominic mysterio <laughs> i love him as a heel and when it looked like he was about to get the pin, even I was like, God damn it, not him. He can't get the pin. <laughs> so they've got something with him. Again, he still has to probably work on a lot of things in the ring, but. You know, prison changes a man, though. Prison changes a man, and I'd like to be in that prison of being chained up by Rhea Ripley. That sounds wonderful. Well, there you go. Boy, you ought to see those uh, leg irons they got. Anyway, so. <laughs> Sami Zayn. We've talked about how great he's been in this whole thing and how over he is now. Based on how over he is and, and the, I mean, we've been talking about this every week, but do you see things differently this week than you did last week or the week before? 
in terms of what direction they should go in towards Mania with Sami Zayn? Well, I mean, it's it seemed like this was a kind of a jump, a quick jump ahead from Roman being a little grumpy with him to ah, oh, gonna spike him now and blah blah blah. But I I assume they've still got another eight or nine weeks before WrestleMania or whatever it is, so they're gonna space this out. But I think obviously at WrestleMania something has to transpire where the people can be full-throated behind Sammy. However, this break-split chasm is going to develop between Sammy and the bloodline, it's got to be right about that time, right? Because to... Or or would happen at WrestleMania, but probably if they want to make WrestleMania strong, it would happen beforehand. I go back to the question if... Cody wins the Rumble. Is Sammy in the Rumble? He will. Depending on, uh, I guess, how many people else they got in the Rumble, he would almost have to be, wouldn't he? I guess that's the question. A, a guy featured like that would almost have to be. And we have Owens versus Roman that night, which obviously he'll be involved with. If it appears like the logical thing is getting somehow to Roman versus Sammy for one of the nights of WrestleMania. Again, how does that affect Cody, who every video they're showing of Cody, I've said it before, and it becomes more and more apparent every week. If he doesn't win the Rumble, something's wrong. Well, I don't, we're not, I don't think we're getting Roman Sammy at WrestleMania unless The Rock is definitely out. The report is The Rock is definitely out. Well, son of a gun, I thought we could count on him. Well, in that case, um, The report is that The Rock has informed WWE that he doesn't have enough time to get into shape. Goddamn, he looks pretty fucking good when I see him on his television program. He was great standing still. What about when he falls down? Well, that might be a different story. But still, do we see Roman and Sammy at WrestleMania night one and then Cody? Because Roman will, even if we have Roman and Sammy, Roman will beat Sammy. And then we have Roman and Cody night two. Well, I guess the other question is if Sammy is this hot right now and he's as hot as he's ever been and people really love him and he's doing a great job with it. How do you get from here to WrestleMania a few months away so that he doesn't lose that? And what do you do with him then? Because you don't want him just to be in a throwaway match. I don't know if him and Owens versus the Usos, just to use an example, would be enough to kind of go with the spirit of everything that's been happening for the last year. The question is, how are you going to use Sammy getting the Mania or at Mania? I don't know. <laughs> they don't pay me to do that. No, in all honesty, I I like this thing with Sammy and the bloodline because I don't really know exactly. Uh, we know eventually what the concept, what's going to happen is that Sammy's going to end up on the outs, but we don't know how or who's going to instigate it or exactly what the process is going to be. And because of the things up in the air and the rock schedule and et cetera, we don't even really know for sure what the matches are going to be at WrestleMania. We need to know sooner than later for promotional consideration. But I like the fact that they've got something that we're interested in and we can't call every step of it. And I honestly, at this point, I don't know what I would do. I know what you, you can't do. You can't. <sighs> 
you can't really do the thing now where they jump Sammy, bombard him and leave him for dead and the people are sympathetic over it because now he ought to know better because he's been warned because they're already looking sideways at him and Roman was going to have Solo spike him. So it almost has to be something where Sammy has the choice to make in, in the moment and you know, chooses fair play or whatever's right instead of what the bloodline's interest are and screws them in some kind of fashion. And then, then they have cause to jump him and do whatever. But if he gets beaten down by the, the gang of people that he, that were about to beat him down, that he's still hanging around, that takes some of his sympathy away and he doesn't look as smart, doesn't it? Well, we will see where they go, but perhaps if Sammy is stressed out by this whole situation, we could recommend something that he can ingest, that he could sit down and get rid of these Sunday scaries. Well, you know, and now that the pay-per-views are on Saturday, it could even be Saturday scaries. Folks, our friendly neighborhood sponsor, Sunday scaries, are back. You've heard about them before, but whether you have them on Sunday or all during the week, it matters not because you can have the perfect remedy for the Sunday scaries any day of the week. You know, the Sunday scaries are crap that life throws at us. Well, on Sunday night, we're sitting there on Monday morning. Many of you out there, I understand, I've been told this, and I've read it in several large newspapers, go to work on Monday mornings and have to deal with a bunch of shit through the week that you don't like to deal with, and you look forward to the weekend. Me, all my days are the same, and I just deal with shit in a variety of ways that I do regardless. But now you can deal with these scaries in a brand new way. The stress, the nerves, the can't sleep, the dreaded feelings. When you think about putting up with a bunch of assholes or just dealing with freaking life, the grumpy feeling in the pit of your stomach, well, now you can put something in the pit of your stomach that will make all that better. The Sunday Scary CBD Gummies. The perfect CBD gummies for professionals on the grind, super moms, students, party animals, regretful drunk sexters. That's what it says right here, Brian. Regretful drunk sexters. Paragraph two, line three. If you don't relax well. Been a few of those in wrestling. Well, there certainly have. If you don't relax well because you got a crazy life or you can't shut your brain off and chill out, you're overthinking things. Well, Sunday Scary's deliciously cute vitamin-boosted CBD gummies are a must-have because they will chill you out fast, and they're in a variety of shapes. They're in, they're in the shape of unicorns. They're in the shape of rhinoceri. They're in the shape of all kinds of cute little animals. Oh, I'm thinking of the Flintstones chewables. No, these are just CBD gummies. And they have the unicorn jerky, which is delicious. That's my favorite. They do have, but it's not in the shape of a unicorn. It's just jerky called unicorn jerky. Well, the colors are, um, it's very colorful. The jerky, the jerky didn't have four legs and a horn. No. No, but it does the same thing as a, a unicorn with four legs and what? a horn. It, it chills you out. What do you think of unicorns in general? Well, I, I tell you what... They're okay when they're barbecued, but if you try to fry them, they're so dry, you have to eat them in the rain. But what about the jerky? Well, I'll tell you what, this jerky they got at SundayScaries.com, as well as these CBD gummies, and all their products are helpful in helping you relax. 
and helping you sleep if you stare at the ceiling and you worry and you stress and you constantly you lay awake at night thinking of different ways to harm that one certain individual you'd like to get even with. And you go over in your mind the things that you need to purchase and the plans you need to make and the ways you need to cover up and the cleaning solvents that you need to get to remove all of the evidence of what you're thinking about doing. Or you could just take a Sunday Scary CBD gummy and you could have a good night's sleep. Look, we've all got the right to live scare-free, folks. So whether you need to take the edge off, calm your racing mind, sleep better, or just prevent yourself from committing felonious assault, take two CBD gummies every day to keep the scaries away. That's old Dr. Corny's prescription for you. And let me do what doctors never do. And that's help you save money. A 25% discount. You go to sundayscaries.com right now. Use the promo code JCE, 25% off sundayscaries, S-C-A-R-I-E-S.com. Promo code JCE, 25% off the Sunday Scaries CBD gummies that will keep you out of the penitentiary and living a happy life. That's right, the Sunday Scaries, but we're talking about the Monday Scaries right now. We're back to Raw XXX. I was a little trepidatious about the next one, and here's what they ended up doing with the potpourri of legends that didn't get a speaking part and just appeared on camera, you know, in the background or in the whatever, the poker game. And I like Bradshaw and I like Ron Simmons. And I know that was their gimmick 25 years ago or whatever. And and I wouldn't even mind the idea of the poker game, but okay, we see JBL walking with Baron Von Corbin, right? And they run into Godfather, who's got the VIP list or the access list for the poker game in the APA's office. And... <sighs> He has no idea who Barry Corbin is. Now, I know. Here's the thing. They're ribbon on a square. Nobody else does either. But should one of the legends of the WWE not know who this guy is that's been pushed on their television for years at this point, and he walks up with JBL, and they're doing a comedy sketch. Yes, I understand the writers want to have the legends interactive, blah, 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 but they're making a complete imbecile, if it hadn't been done already by Mother Nature in the booking, of Baron Von Corbin. How is Do you see what I'm saying? They're acting like nobody knows who the modern talent is, even the old talent. Would, if... Uh, Give me a goddamn baseball player from 30 years ago on the Mets. Keith Hernandez. Okay, if he walked in right now, would he know at least the names of and potentially recognize most of the starting lineup of the current team? Absolutely, of course. Okay. Well, here, they're all... And then Ron comes out, and he doesn't know who this fucking guy is either. Who's the stooge? They keep calling him a stooge. And then, of course, when Corbin shows the, the all the cash he's brought, they let him in because they're going to take him for a sucker because he's an idiot. And Bradshaw's his manager, and he's with him. So 
I love Bradshaw and Ross that was the first, That was the first sign that Vince didn't go home when Brad when Bradshaw showed up as a manager all of a sudden on TV. Well, well they had he can talk and they had to do something for Corbin. Well, they didn't have to, but I guess they wanted to. But so they walk through the fake door. That's the gimmick from Raw years ago. And backstage is set up as an entire like casino with all of the legends and the talent sitting around playing poker and kibitzing and just having a wonderful time. Answering it, the question of where's Johnny Gargano? Yes. He's in the poker lounge. And there was Gargano and his wife, the Pixie, and they're just standing there. And they did that well. That's usually what they do well is just stand there. Anyway, we'll get back to the poker game. Uh, but the next one, L.A. Knight. And I like the guy. I'm not saying he's going to be the next fucking rock, right? But he can talk. He can work. He can have a professional wrestling match. He he has movement to him. He's experienced. Got some personality. I'm beginning to believe it's all for naught at this point because after the Max Dupree fiasco, where they just made him a completely different person for no reason to the point where he knew it sucked so bad he couldn't even do it. And then they just erase that with a backstage beat down of the Mansois and Massé or whoever the fuck. And now he's with Bray Wyatt and that's a doomed spot. How they've even talked about it. It's somebody's knocking on the door. Well, someone's knocking. Yeah. Actually they're knocking on the ceiling. Oh. My carpenters are at work today. So please excuse me. Um, They've even said from the scuttlebutt from the office is they understand that you you can almost be assured that whoever is booked with Bray Wyatt will be buried. It's hard to book anybody that doesn't get buried by this fucking thing, right? This whole gimmick, this whole world they're creating. So he knocks the legends of a few minutes, does L.A. Knight, and then gong. The Undertaker's gong, and I sit up, and I open my eyes, and I start sharpening my pencil, and the people, ooh, and that lasts a gong or two, and the Taker music starts, and then it transitions to that fucking Kid Rock, American badass, his right wing, fake trailer park trash, fucking, eh. And Stace had walked in to look at the poker game and said, oh, Jimmy's looking good, heart, and et cetera. And then the the gong, she thinks she's going to see The Undertaker too. And then suddenly at the same time when here comes American Badass, we both say, oh, no. So did the and, fans in the arena, if you noticed. Yes. They didn't get The Undertaker. They got Mark Calloway on his motorcycle. With the, again, with that fucking piece of trash, Kid Rock's right-wing horse shit, and his street clothes, and a motorcycle that came 50 feet down the fucking ramp, or down the, the aisleway, and then an awkward dismount. What were you going to say? You keep shitting on Kid Rock for his politics. You don't have a problem with his shitty music? Just in general? No, the music shits. The music is the shits, but it, it was overwhelmed and overshadowed by his just shittiness as a human being every time I see him with the fucking 
fuck Joe Biden. I love Trump. I like to suck his orange dick shit for the past five years. But nevertheless, so we don't get the undertaker. We get Mark Calloway who walks in the ring and fires up and everything, but it's, it's not the undertaker. And remember we, we said this when we talked about the undertaker biography and the retirement and the whole nine yards in hindsight, the American badass was a good thing because it made the people nostalgic for The Undertaker. How could I miss you if you won't go away? He went away. And then when they brought it back, people loved it. And from then on, it was gold. We don't want to see the fucking American badass anymore because it ain't The Undertaker. Didn't Vince even hate it? I don't know. And And then, so now... <laughs> L.A. Knight's on the floor, Undertaker's in the ring, and L.A. Knight's doing, hey, I agree with you, the locker room is soft, what you said, so I'd fight you right now, and I would send the Undertaker to the Undertaker, but I'll let you live as he's backing up out of the entranceway. Okay, well, I have, then I know what's coming next, and I have a horrible feeling. And there's a blackout, and spooky music, and the blue light, and suddenly Bray Wyatt is behind L.A. Knight with the lantern, and the music creeps along, and L.A. Knight creeps back, and everybody's creeping. And that's when Stace said, is anything going to happen? And she walked out of the room, because she was like, what the fuck? It's as slow as molasses in January, as Mama Cornette used to say. And finally, L.A. Knight backs away from Bray Wyatt by getting into the ring and turning his back on The Undertaker. Where The Undertaker grabs him by the goozle and is going to choke slam him. But then Undertaker sees Bray Wyatt, and Undertaker shoves L.A. Knight to Bray Wyatt, and Bray Wyatt gives him the sister Abigail. And L.A. Knight rolls out, never to be seen again. And then Undertaker and Bray Wyatt face off. And Undertaker leans over and whispers something to Bray Wyatt, which is just the just the talk of Twitter this morning. What could he have said? Probably it sounded a lot better when we went over it in the locker room. You got an easier deal than I ever had. There you go. And then Taker gets on the motorcycle at ringside and he can't start it. And you they keep cutting back to Bray Wyatt because Taker ain't getting the bike started. And you can see one guy in the front row pointing like, you got to do something there. And then he finally starts it and he rides 50 feet back down <laughs> the entranceway and stops and turns around. It's the first bad Undertaker segment, I think, ever in the history of wrestling. He should have just put it in neutral and let them push him. <laughs> <Just> push him. <laughs> hey, look on the bright side. You know what? Considering how shitty this was in every respect, the wrong Undertaker, the Bray Wyatt stuff, L.A. Knight is doing as well as anyone could do under these circumstances, and I think he's actually, I don't know if they'll use him, I don't know if it'll go anywhere for him, but the fans are reacting to him, he's starting to get over. They're doing his, I don't know if his catchphrase is, yeah, or whatever, but they're, yeah. doing it, they're doing it with him, so they're into him a little bit. He's got good material. He delivers it well. Seems like a tweaked out wrestler. Like you believe he'd be a crazy wrestler. <laughs> but then they keep jobbing him out. So like he does a good job, but 
It's like the Austin Theory thing, although he's a bit older than Austin Theory, which is why I don't have as much hope that they'll straighten it out, but he's been great. He's been one of the highlights of WWE programming. As bad as the Bray Wyatt stuff is, he's good. But now think about this. Undertaker could have choke slammed him, except he, nah, you have him, Bray. So he throws him to Bray. Bray drops him on his head. You never see LA Knight again. Taker's retired. Bray Wyatt just came back, but he's been around for 15 years in some form or another. And, and so the newest guy is the guy that got shit on and, and left out of the equation. And yes, I know for the fans of the supernatural, one step beyond, they they loved the idea of Taker and Bray Wyatt in the ring together, except they didn't even see Undertaker. Bray Wyatt has goddamn supernatural fucking puppets, talking pigs, and whatever. But we can't even see the Undertaker with some eye makeup and the goddamn entrance and the whole nine yards, some druids, maybe him. He's he just got to come out dressed in street clothes. I don't know. And the LA Knight stuff, the problem is they have a track record. They show you what they think of you when they use you this way with the legends. They did it to Rob yeah. Conway, I remember, years and years ago, where he got beat up by like 15 legends of the ring. <laughs> like one after another, the bump from one to the other to the other. But FTR with DX is the famous one that everyone talks about now because they first talked about it here on this show. Yeah. So, I mean, there are examples, WWE, you have someone that the fans may think has something and they're like, all right, just go out there and get beat up by these old people. And then I'm not saying that about The Undertaker necessarily, but, you know, that's the thing that doesn't give me hope for LA Knight there. It says something about the way they think of you when they're building up a big match, this lights out match. Match has a fucking sponsor, Mountain Dew. And they're going to have you use like this the week before. Why didn't they just save poor L.A. Knight? And use The Miz. Ray? Considering what they well, did with The Miz, why didn't they do that with The Miz here? Well, he has to get beat up later on. But right. uh, at least he got beat up by one of the current members of the roster. But why couldn't Bray Wyatt be in the ring doing one of his promos that people love, even though he never really gets anywhere? But maybe, couldn't he be conflicted again about, I don't know if I should do this, or I don't know if I should let this this monster out of its cage again or whatever. And boom, Undertaker music. Here comes the Undertaker. He gets in, he brings the lights up with his supernatural powers. And he tells fucking Bray Wyatt, he gives Bray Wyatt one line of advice that makes sense in whatever the fuck universe they're in these days. Enough with and the howdy doody shit. There you go, enough with the howdy doody shit, kid. Or whatever it may be. And then there's the fucking bong and the lights out. And when they come out, come back on, Undertaker's gone. And then Bray Wyatt can do his Firefly Funhouse or whatever. And then you've seen the real Undertaker. You've had that moment, but you didn't have to beat the fuck out of L.A. Knight. And they wouldn't have, it wouldn't have cost him any buys on the Royal Rumble. Or whatever, not buys. Nobody buys it anymore, nevertheless. See, I see it as give The Undertaker the Miz thing because it would have accomplished the same thing for both guys and do something where LA Knight doesn't look weak the week of the pay-per-view match. Well, he's looked weak the month of the pay-per-view match because... <sighs> How about... Uh, did you love the Dallas Page interview? I must have missed the Dallas Page interview. I there guess. wasn't one. Diamond Dallas Page for 
they bought him a plane ticket. They flew him in. They put him in the poker game, and you never even heard him speak. He was playing poker with Medusa, who you also saw for that brief moment. Again, they could have had interaction with Medusa and one of the modern women to not not to beat anybody up, but just to do something verbal that may have furthered them or whatever the case. Have her out there with Charlotte and Becky. There you know, or, or well, <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. Hold on. Becky and Bailey. We're going to get to that next. Well, I that, said Becky, excuse me, Bianca, yeah. Charlotte and Bianca. But Charlotte excuse and me. Bianca or Bianca and Cruella or what? I don't know. The point is the cage match that they made a point of advertising for this week, right? They set it up last week, Becky and Bailey. Instead of having a cage match, they lower the cage, they send out Becky, and then Kai and Sky attack Becky before she gets into the cage. They beat her up on the floor. They All three of them, with Bailey, roll her into the cage. They lock the door, and they beat the shit out of Becky while Pierce tries to panics and then gets bolt cutters and gets in, and the heels laugh. So they advertised a women's cage match, and they gave us a three-minute angle. There was also a 45-minute trial that may have cut into this. Well, that's what I was saying. It seemed a little long at the top of the program. I I don't know. I, I liked Bailey until she got... The other two do nothing for her. They're not top girls. They're smaller than she is. So it's not like they're enforcers or whatever. It's like, here's Bailey with two underneath girls, and she's expected to to fight the uh, one of the most popular women in the business. Mm. What do you think? I think I was kind of <laughs> interested to see what they would do with the match, and there was no match. They did this angle. I, I'm not as interested in Bailey now as I used to be, if that was the question. And, well, a, and a lot of it's based on usage. Yeah. There wasn't really a question there as much as just a moan. Okay, now we get to the DX segment. And this took a while. They they had plenty of time for this one somehow. Even though the cage match got rushed. Again, this is a three-hour program of interviews and entrances. So, and again, Road Dog, X-Pac, Triple H, and Sean, and Kurt Angle was out there. And they did, again, the thing with DX for its time. We talked about this with the DX reunion a while back, not long ago. For its time, yes, all the edgy teenage kids like the cussing and the gesticulating. But now they're all 50 and they're all gray-headed or bald and they're all, or 60, I should say, and they're all gray-headed or bald and they're still, act. and now they had to act like they didn't notice that Kurt Angle was out there with them. And then they're doing their shtick, but they're doing their shtick that gets interrupted because Road Dog can't introduce Billy Gunn and Triple H is about to say, let's get ready to suck it when Imperium's music plays. And 
It's the same thing again. Here is Kurt Angle, Road Dog, X-Pac, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, five of the biggest names over the past 25 years in the company. Here comes Imperium, including Gunther, who is not only being presented as one of the top guys currently today, but is actually one of the best talents in the business. But they have to be presented as fucking stooges and dipshits to stand there and let the 50 and 60 year old guys make jokes and crack funnies and triple H roll his eyes about if only there was somebody that could come out to hit the music cue. Cause here comes fucking Seth, but there's only one of him. If only there were more people and here come the street profits. If only someone could make this match official, and here comes Teddy Long to make the match official. They're parodying their own program, and they're using the current talent to stand there and not get the joke, and to just, they're, you know, they're pissing on them. And, you know, at first they were going to fight Gunther, but then Triple H says, I'm retired, dude. Sean says, I'm too old, and they all joke about not being able to fight the guy. But the guy has to stand there and nothing's happening for him. You see what I'm saying? Oh, I saw I saw it live, yeah. So so finally it took for fucking ever to get all the other people out there and then Teddy Long and they make a six-man tag and then they do the bit, well, if only we had somebody who could keep order. And then Kurt has already pulled off his t-shirt he wore in the ring to reveal a dx shirt and now he pulls off the dx shirt and he's got a referee shirt underneath because it was all set up ahead of time because it's all phony they're just making fun of their show being phony and the only ones that and the fans are in on the joke and triple h and dx and kurt the only ones ain't in on the joke is the big fucking guy across the ring that he and his stooges have to be the ones drawing the money and they look like a bunch of dipshits. And then they had a six-man tag, and the baby faces won it. And and and, by, and then Stace had come back in and said, the street prophets, she said, do they always come out dressed that way? They had basketball uniforms on. This was for the 76ers colors, I believe, because they were in Philly. But she, they always, I said, yeah, they always have basketball uniforms. And she said, and the red solo cups? I said, yes. And then she walked out again. And so now they they beat, they didn't beat Gunther, but they beat Gunther's team lost and he was in there. Your thoughts? Oh, I mean, I don't want to shit on everything, but I hate the DX brand of comedy. It's a unique brand of the WWE brand of comedy that is especially terrible. Gunther's involvement in all this. I'm glad he was able to appear on Raw for this. You know, I remember thinking a few months ago when DX had their reunion, I hope this isn't the last time we see DX. All kidding aside, that was four months ago or something. They had a reunion. Now they're back with another reunion. Uh, I mean, the show started strong. Whatever you want to say about the long trial segment, people were into it. It was captivating. It was good. The match ended up being good. But I started getting to a point around here where I was like, I don't know how much longer I'm going to go. And I fell, for the record, I fell asleep at 10 o'clock and had to watch the rest the next day. 
Well, we were right there at about 10 o'clock by this point. What would have hurt if DX had come out and done all of their stuff and they're, you know, done their promos that people want to hear, and then Imperium come out and Gunther got up in Triple H's face and say, you're an executive around here now, so I'll talk to you. I don't care about the rest of your clown show friends. Shawn Michaels, if you look sideways at me, and I know you probably will, no matter how you look at me, look sideways at me. <laughs> I will chop you into insensibility and X pack. I'll break your neck and whatever, and have a face to face with triple H about how he needs to be Gunther. That is the top guy in this fucking company and triple H better get with the program and start menacing them and let the current guys, Seth Rollins and the street profits. If it has to be come out and save a potential bad situation with a guy's had heart problems and another is several other people that have injuries and are retired in their fifties from Gunther and they're at his stooges. And then they have them instead. The senior citizens have made these other guys look like nerdy dipshits and then bring in the stooges to do their light work. I don't know. There was more poker. That's when DiBiase who never spoke nor was barely even seen except in this instance, lost a bunch of money to Baron Corbin, and then IRS took the money. And Ron Simmons said, damn. And we were almost two hours into the show. He took all the money. The IRS came and took all the money and gave him back one bill. It's just bad comedy. This is, this is Vince comedy. Is the, is this there is a, Vince comedy. Wouldn't there have been any kind of young baby face that Shawn Michaels may have come out and given a heartfelt coaching speech to about how I, you know, I, I was my own worst enemy, but I straightened up and people counted me down, but, but I came back and you can too, or something like that. Or is there not, you know, the, the, who, who did the last upset? On the program, is there not a way that X Pac could have not? Oh, well, yeah. Is there a way of that X Pac could not have congratulated a kid like Ricochet for that big win that he got? What? Take your legends and let them do their stuff, but apply them in a positive way to the to the younger talent, to where they interact like equals. And they, the only guy they didn't, well, I won't say the uh, Hogan didn't get any on him. Ric Flair made his entrance, came out in Philadelphia in that suit. My God, Rick had such great style and fashion sense back in the 80s. Michaels from Kansas City. No, he looks like a psychedelic cow. Yeah, boy, I, I tell you what, that it did look like some type of LSD-ridden cattle experiment. When he said, um, you know, I'm styling, as soon as he said styling, I said, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Look at you. Look at the state of you. <laughs> Look at the state of you. But but he came out dressed as he was and made a nice little speech to Philadelphia and introduced Charlotte. And at least they let him be serious and not be embarrassed or silly or have to do ha-ha. And Charlotte comes out, and Rick went back, and Charlotte went to the ring. Called her the greatest women's wrestler of all time. There, You can make a case for that, and I would think that uh, she would have to be his favorite anyway. So I don't know that uh, anybody's going to sue him for misrepresentation on a wrestling program. 
but then Charlotte cuts the promo and then Bianca comes out and she's happy and skipping and twirling her hair as usual. And as they got in the ring, one is obviously the raw champion. The other one's the SmackDown champion. And it just, as you stand there looking at it, they're both wearing the identical same championship belt. Just one is blue and one is red. And that's just so fucking stupid. No wonder nobody gets over as a champion anymore. There's so many of them. And they look the same. Every belt looks exactly yes. the same. It's just different color for the different brands. It is. It, it, they violate Vince before he left was violating the rules that he made 15, 20 years ago that when he was in his right mind that she shouldn't violate. And then Bianca says she runs Raw, even though Charlotte may be the champion at SmackDown. And then here comes Cruella DeVille, and she knocks both of them. And Bianca says, well, if you want to, then you get in the ring here with me, and let's settle this or whatever. And as soon as that, they go to the break. I'm telling entrances and promos. And if anybody actually starts to fucking fight, they go to commercial. So they come back with the match that apparently nobody cares about. And Bianca won and then started cutting a promo again. And that's when Alexis Bliss popped up on the screen. Alexa Bliss. What'd I say? Alexis Bliss. Well, you know, that sounds better. You think Alexis sounds better than Alexa? Alexis Bliss. Alexa Bliss. Alexis Bliss pops up and she does the spooky promo. That she doesn't need boy howdy. She's going to blah, blah. She's going to rip her fucking limb from limb. <sighs> so again, as we've noted on the last program, now we got to put up with this little fucking 80 pound blonde pixie being a supernatural creature also, along with Bray Wyatt and the rest of the gang. I would like to see if she's a puppet or not. I wonder if somebody could stick their hand up her rear end, motivate her to move around. Maybe Uncle Howdy. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Captain Howdy. Anyway, they did another Cody. And again, they go from the ridiculous to the sublime. As soon as you think this stupid shit that goes on is phony fucking program and everybody's jacking around and then they'll throw in the Cody package and it, it belongs on ABC's wide world of sports or an NBC network program or Fox sports, or it's serious and it's done well. And it could be a UFC package. And this is where you get a fucking star over. But they, for whatever reason, they think that not only can you only be serious about one or two things at a time, but that they're convinced, I guess, that all the bad comedy and silly phoniness on the rest of the program doesn't damage the few times that they get it right with something like this. But if they had a program that they in any way took seriously on the rest of it, these packages that already stand out would get even more over because there wouldn't be people going, well, I'd almost believe in that, but the rest of this shit's horseshit. Uh, and then they followed that up, Brian, with a package on their brand new video game. What do they call it? WWE 2023 K whatever. The date's in there. WWE's in there. There's a K in there somewhere. 
You know more about video games than I do. You're on the right path, yes. I'm on the right. Well, guess who the big star and on the cover of the video game and doing the commercial of the video game is in 2023? John Cena. The guy that only wrestled once for the WWE in 2022. It's a rib. That can't be Roman Reigns. It can't even be Brock Lesnar. It's got to, I, I love John Cena. He's a big star, but that's the problem. He's a big star, but not for them anymore. But that's the only person they can put on the cover of the video game that anybody knows who the fuck they are. Because every all the other ones are playing Stooges for the senior citizens and the Over the Hill gang. When I put myself on TV in my 50s, it was an as an announcer to make matches and then run scared of the wrestlers if they were mad at the matches that I made. So John Cena is the cover boy and the commercial spokesperson for the brand new video game featuring all the top talent. This is what I'm led to believe by what I just saw. I take a sip of Sprite and move on. Okay. So the Miz was in the ring and, and he rants for about 20 seconds about where's my raw 30 moment. Why ain't I a part of this show? And then Kevin Owens comes in the ring from behind and just boots him in the gut and stunners him. <laughs> Boom. And down he goes. And then Owens cuts a promo on Roman Reigns and the Royal Rumble. And he got fired up. And finished that promo, and just then Miz had staggered up, so he turned around, booted Miz in the gut, and stunned him again. At least it's, they're both current guys. And then it was time for our main event, Brian. For the United States Heavyweight Championship, no disqualification. Austin Theory versus Bobby Lashley. This has been advertised all throughout the program. This is there's been problems with Theory and Lashley in the past when they've interacted with each other. Hey, earlier in the show they had MVP and Lashley backstage, and MVP's trying to talk to him and Lashley won't really hear him. I think that was the promo where it came up and MVP goes, Tonight you have a match, it's no disqualification. You know what that means. And I almost thought he was gonna say it. <laughs> <laughs> Because he set it up the same way you, you know what that means. Lazy booking. <laughs> and actually, and I must have missed that. I must have turned my head and missed that pre-tape earlier in the program. But the so the main event for the United States title, they finally get them headed to the ring with about 20 minutes left on the air. But by the time they do the in-ring introductions and et cetera, et cetera, they ring the bell for the main event, the title match, on this three-hour program. There's a little over 10 minutes left on the air. They basically, Lashley bumps Theory a time, it bumps him to the floor and rattles him off the barrier and the ring post, and they go to the break in under two minutes. And they're in break for fucking three minutes. So they do 30 minute long promo segments, but the main event championship match, as soon as it starts, boom, they come back from the break and theory was using a chair, whacking the shit out of Lashley right in front of the referee. They're not five minutes in 
and we didn't see half of that. And then he goes goes out and pulls out a table and slides a table under out from under the ring and puts it in the ring. And I'm rapidly losing interest because now they actually go to another commercial break after about less than three minutes of match. So there's this title match is going on in commercial. And they're under five minutes in. They've already got chairs and tables pulled out and in the middle of the fucking thing. And then they come back with three minutes on the air. And Lashley superplexes theory off the top rope. Apparently, this is his comeback. There's two tables in the ring, and they do a short little 30-second bit where they tease going through putting the other one through them like that's such a big goddamn deal you'd never seen before and then finally lashley just picks theory up and dumps him through a table and suddenly music hits and here comes brock lesnar and brock lesnar comes out again i want to stress to you the main event u.s title Two main event guys, Theory and Lashley, on the roster, full-time guys currently. So far, their title match, they've seen about five or six minutes of it on television. Most of it's been in commercial break. And then Brock just comes out and fucking stops Lashley and picks him up and gives him an F5. And then grabs Theory and picks him up and gives him an F5 on top of Lashley. And then my DVR froze because it was the top of the 11 o'clock hour, but I assume since they were already down there, he went ahead and pissed in their mouths. Is that what happened next? I actually don't know because they went off the air quick. My DVR didn't (laughs) freeze. I got a little bit at the end, but they were off the air pretty quickly. I think they had run out of time. So they had three hours, but they don't have enough time for the main event or the angle afterwards. And Basically, another part-time real star from the previous generation or two comes in and in the space of 20 seconds beats up both guys in the U.S. title match and leaves them stacked up on top of each other. And they're the young full-time guys in theory, the guy of the future. I understand, again, Brock Lesnar will sell you tickets. He's the biggest Box office traction in the business, may depending on whether Cena's even in the business or not. But so my closing thought of Raw Thirty was, what the fuck? If if they ever call me to come back, I'm going to ask who I get to beat up. The last time we saw Brock was the Saudi Arabia show where he beat Lashley, right? I think so. So obviously he had he's got a he did, he's got a grudge. He didn't <laughs> beat him fast enough. He, he didn't beat him in the states. Yeah. Beat him up and beat up Theory too. Again, that it's that wasn't even shooting an angle for a match as much as just. Here, Brock's got to come out and and do something shocking that people will remember. Who gives a fuck if it hurts our current talent or not? uh, So those are my thoughts and comments. If they were 
attempting to sell the WWE of 1999, they did a great job. But if they're attempting to sell the WWE of 2023, they just buried almost everybody's coming back next week. No, you're wrong. If they were trying to sell the WWE of 1999, they failed at that too. Well, that's true, because and uh, nobody looks the same. It's why I'm not doing this shit anymore. Nobody looks the same. You actually look better. Everyone else is going the other way. Well, and I'm going to keep it that way. I'm going to be right over here looking better. And, uh, apparently, everybody that doesn't get out of the wrestling business looks like shit. Just think about if you would say yes to one of these offers to come to one of these things. And you could be sitting there in the background with holding a tennis racket for no good reason while people are playing poker. What? I, d- I don't understand the, the... I mean, in all honesty and in all sincerity, if, if I just needed the payoff, I guess I'd go to do whatever. But as a professional and as a veteran and as anybody, any of these guys who had legitimate names in the business i would say if you call me to come and do your television program what would you like me to do can i be a meaningful part of it can i help further one of your issues or programs or can i help get one of your talents over or get interest in a specific thing you or whatever no well no it's a three-hour show you have 30 seconds here's the line we wrote for you but that's what I'm saying. I would say if if I can't, why do I want to just come there and sit in a, and play poker or fly somewhere, sit around a building all day to visit old friends? That w- might not be bad, but to it demeans it, 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 the the person you were at one point when you're just being seen as background fodder and or you know a person sitting around a table without even speaking. Call me when. When I can do something for you, and if I can't, then you don't need to call. Cause, but I, I don't understand why people just go and just, oh, I'll be sitting and catering all day. Well, it's an easy payoff. Fuck, it would been easier to stay fucking home. Makes you look bad. That's my thought. Well, that was WWE Raw 30 or Raw XXX. And perhaps you're looking for a transition, ladies and gentlemen. Perhaps. (laughs) High and low. You want to just cut right through the crap and get to a transition to a wonderful sponsor of this here show. What would you do, Jim? (laughs) I'll tell you what I would do. I I would look forward to the next time, that magic day of the month, when my box of awesome shows up from Bespoke Post. That's what I would do. I would look forward to that because we've talked about these fine people and we have argued at length and vehemently about how to pronounce their name. I say bespoke, you say bespoke. But nevertheless, you say tomato, I say tomato. We all say you need to open up your box of awesome because the people at Bespoke Post hand curate the items that go in these boxes of awesomeness. Every item from a small business that you might not have ever heard of otherwise. But they're supporting those small businesses and their opportunities to fulfill the American dream and and grow and expand and become wealthy and become multinational conglomerates and then cheat on their taxes and 
not pay their proper share and then hide all their money in offshore accounts in, in various Caribbean islands or in Switzerland. But right now, they're just little mom and pop shops like you and me and all of our friends that are just trying to make a living and doing the best they can. And 90% of everything that comes in your box of awesome is from a small up-and-coming brand like these small businesses that they they support. They hand-curate these items. And they've got a, an amazing selection. As a matter of fact, too many things. It's a an embarrassment of riches when you go to boxofawesome.com, you will see that there's so many things that these boxes center on. You have to enter your your interests and what you like because they have such a wide array and variety of hand-curated personal items. Everything, Brian, you know this, everything from cozy essentials to travel must-haves to cocktail kits to knives. You got a bunch of knives over there. I did. You're not supposed to announce that, but yes, uh, now that you've announced it, I will confirm there are a bunch of knives here, but you don't know what There is are. a bunch of knives in Brian Last's house, ladies and gentlemen, and do you have licenses for those knives? Have you recently Googled how to cut up and dispose of a body? I'm having a problem with my headphones. What are you saying? Nevertheless, um, either, if, whether you want whether you want to What's cut going on somebody- over here? Well, you want to cut somebody out of your will the hard way or whatever, whatever you want to do with the box of awesome folks. Each of these boxes is valued at around $70, but you only pay a fraction of that price. And folks, you know what a fraction is. That's a number with a line over the top of another number. Right now, in addition to not paying that 70 bucks, just a fraction of that, you can get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code DRIVE at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, code DRIVE at checkout for 20% off your first box. And it's a great day that comes in the mail once a month. You've picked the things you're interested in. You open it up. And the surprise and the shock and the awe and the resplendency and the majesty, it overcomes you. Sometimes people just faint and fall dead away in the street. One guy actually fainted, fell dead away in the street, cracked his head on the concrete, and they took him to the local medical facility for a brain scan. Luckily, he had been interested in blankets. He got a box of awesome blankets. They put them right over him in the hospital and then... Later on that next week when they laid him to rest, he was laid to rest with his box of awesome that started the whole thing. Folks, once again, boxofawesome.com. Enter the code DRIVE at checkout. 20% off. You're not going to believe it. Wait till you see what they send you in, in, in your box. Knives. Forks. Spoons. Well, let's not go too crazy. Let's use the knives again. Let's cut through the crap. Let's get right to the big stories of the day. Jim, apparently the Bellas are upset with WWE over Raw XXX. Well, yeah, they weren't on it. They didn't get to beat anybody up. Were they supposed to beat somebody up? Or were they, were they upset because they were going to be the only legends not to get to beat anybody up? Well, originally, I think they were announced for it, weren't they not? I think as were, they not? Fact, were they not? Weren't they not? <laughs> weren't they not? <laughs> They've... <laughs> <laughs> MR Wangs, L I B, MR Ducks. 
they went to New York and apparently took in an afternoon Broadway play rather than going to Raw because they were in a snit about how they were to be utilized is the story that's going around. Is this is this valid? That's what I'm trying to figure out. We have a, a few articles I'm trying to get through here to figure out the crux of the story. The Wrestling News has not covered the Bella Twins drama as of this point. But here's some audio. You got nobody on the Bella beat this week? No, we're looking for someone. If someone out there is obsessed with the Bellas, let us know and uh, we'll point you in another direction. But here is apparently audio of the Bellas on Instagram talking about Raw 30 last night as it took place or right after it. At some point the same night of Raw XXX. Another good memory on Raw. How didn't they showcase anything from the women's evolution? But also the way we did our matches on Sasha there. Banks and they're like, we can't. And the Bellas. There's a bunch of us. In Mercedes is too over. And we and can't say her name. There's a couple other girls and Rhea. There's a bunch of us they don't yeah. want to show. That's fine. Huh. That's fine. That's... When you no. do what they don't want to do, it's they not don't what show you. you. It's what you do. You know, our another good memory. All right, well, they're... Uh... Oh, my God. And can could they take time out from sniffing the bouquet of their own farts to be any more full of themselves? To play devil's advocate here, they are correct in the sense that when you think of the montage they had on Raw, the great highlights throughout the years of Raw, you know, we said before there was no Sasha Banks. When you really think about it, no Sasha Banks. No AJ Lee, no Paige, no Bellas. Pretty much every well, time. Well, hold on. The, the first three are understandable because there's been issue. There continues to be an issue with Sasha Banks. I know they're, they're friends, but she's the one that walked out. They haven't settled this, apparently, so they ain't going to fucking promote her. That's not hard to figure out. But again... Even if it's the message, the messenger is somewhat... <laughs> all the great matches and moments of the Bellas? Is that what they were looking for, or just for the women in general? They may could have done more with the women, but would the Bellas have still been a part of all the great moments of female wrestling? The Bellas? Not Trish Stratus? Not whoever the fuck, but the Bellas? Eh? Yeah, Johnny, so I, I, Johnny Ace wasn't in the video either. <laughs> he's in there. He's in our home videos from the Christmas celebration at the house. I wonder yeah. if it was frosty this year. Yeah, he was sitting in the corner drinking. <laughs> frosty, the dynamic dude. Got a chilly reception that day. <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, so it's the messengers, not the the message. They could have showed more of the women, but would the Bellas still have been a part of anything great? What were the Bellas part of that was great? Well, again, it's subjective. I was never a really big fan of the Bellas. I appreciated that they had fans and that they were a big part of the show and that they dated very powerful people on the show. <laughs> but I was never a big Bellas fan. What, what was the line of uh, talent is not sexually transmitted? They could That was a, an AJ Lee clip, right? They could have fucking aired that no they didn't air that uh, i'm trying to see if there's anything else to this story i'm trying to read through this article this article doesn't say anything this article just that people are upset that the women weren't represented more on the show the women's history on raw wasn't shown more in the 
30th anniversary retrospective video. Well, goddamn, but it's an hour and a half at minimum on every other week's program. So at least we got a break this week. I want to ask you about another story coming out of WWE. A lot of listeners have sent in various questions, and the story has kind of morphed over the last few days. Originally, I believe it was an article from Fightful Select that Steve Austin versus Roman Reigns was pitched as a match for WrestleMania. <laughs> that Austin's camp was approached with the possibility of it happening. Uh, and there was a lot of money apparently offered to Stone Cold Steve Austin. Dave Meltzer has reported, I believe, that the match pitched, and I can't believe this would happen, was Steve Austin versus Brock Lesnar. What do you think about the idea they're pitching Steve Austin matches or ideas for WrestleMania? Do you think we'll see Steve Austin after his big return last year? Well, it lends credence to the idea that Rock has told him, ah, I just can't make it this year, guys, because... You know, obviously, Steve was just there. And again, I'm not going to say anything bad about Steve Austin, the biggest attraction in the history of the business. But he's, again, he looked great last year physically for a guy his age. And what is he? He's in his 50s. I can't remember. But to be Steve Austin against... Brock Lesnar or Roman Reigns, I don't know if that's something he wants to do or can do at this point. And what are your finishes? Besides, I, I mean, obviously, Roman Reigns would have to beat Steve Austin. With Brock, it may be a little more up in the air, but at the same time, I don't see Austin with a bad neck taking an F5. And I don't know that you would want to, especially with what they just did with Brock, you would want to fucking kick Brock in the gut and stunner him. And boom, one, two, three, see you later. Because Austin, that may very well be the last match he'd ever have. So, that's awful. Uh, these dream matches can be a nightmare uh, past writing the names down. If you have Steve Austin... If Vince McMahon says, give him whatever he wants, we need him this year, and you have Steve Austin, who would you book him against? What makes sense? Well, depending on who they wanted him to interact with, can you see Steve Austin and Sami Zayn against Roman Reigns and Solo? It's the point of... I, I don't know if Solo's ready for that spot, but maybe... Well, the the problem is the other two Usos, it's a tag team. Right. Maybe they could play on one of the Usos because the other one falls out with Sammy, whatever the case. And, you know, the again, the problem is, and all those guys really would be part-time because Romans now is part-time, but in no universe could you have Steve Austin go over Roman Reigns at this point in time and... Honestly and truthfully, I don't see any reason to have Steve Austin wrestle at this point in his life unless he's going to win, because then it would just make the people feel bad. It's not like Roman would get heat for beating a beloved legend. It's just the people would feel bad about the whole thing because Austin has moved on for so long. 
with the who what else the other match they were to Austin and Brock yeah that no geez, way there's no way because Brock can't be Brock if he can't throw people around and there's no way that Austin could or should won't even take the chance on that with his neck so it would yes when when fans hear Steve Austin versus Brock Lesnar they instantly visualize both guys in their prime and all the spots they could and the things they could do and blah, blah, blah. That's the way marks look at it. And unfortunately, as we've established in a lot of cases these days, the marks are in the writing room. They don't understand what it takes to actually put that together and how each guy would have to be to be themselves and give the people what they expect and want to see and a blah, blah, blah. So I, Austin is not an answer to their questions or their problem as far as having a main event singles match, I don't think, this year. Jim, another question I wanted to ask you about, something that recently happened in wrestling. This past weekend at the Yokohama Arena in Japan. Oh, mama, Yokohama. And an event titled Great Muda Final Bye-Bye. <laughs> what? The Great Muda in what was billed as his final in-ring appearance as the Great Muda teamed with Sting and Darby Allen to defeat Marafuji, Hakushi, and Akira. We've had a few emails sent in about this. What are your thoughts on the legacy of the Great Muda? And uh, any thoughts on the Great Muda in general? Well, they, but they called it Muda's Final Bye-Bye? Title, Great Muda Final Bye-Bye. Anyway, um, no, Muda, my God, he was huge at that period of time in WCW that, you know, what he was only here for a year, but people remember him fondly, and it's like he was, you know, like a lot of the other guys where he was just here, you know, for a long stretch, but it was a short period of time, but he made a ton of difference, and that was one of the the one bright spot maybe of new talent and that type of thing that Turner Broadcasting was able to bring the people when they first took over Crockett's company. And uh, I loved watching his matches, and he was a nice guy back in those days. I have not obviously seen him in person in thirty years since he, you know, he went back to Japan, but. I mean, just for the moonsault, the moon, a lot of people can't imagine the moonsault being as over and being as talked about as it was when Muda was the only one doing it. He also did it the best. You know, the fact that we've seen all these guys over the last 30 something years do the moonsault and his was still the most impactful. Destroyed his knees, but it looked incredible. And I made mention of the, you know, and then... Vader, the 400-pound man, and Terry Funk, the over-50 man, and then the women, and then the midgets, and then everybody proved they could do a moonsault, and that ain't worth shit. But uh, Muda, just uh, his speed and his athleticism, and we mentioned this before, the people started taking to him, even though he was a member of Gary Hart's, you know, uh, uh, stable. And, uh, of course, Gary had the history with the great Kabuki. So there was the tie in with his Mook is, is Mookie is Mookie <laughs> is Muda Kabuki's son or is Mookie Kabuki's son or whatever the case. 
but they were eventually, and I thought this would be a good idea. They were going to turn Muda babyface because the kids loved him. There were still kids watching wrestling at that time, and he was so exciting. And he was different, but of course, at that point, Gary, I think, had convinced him, well, it'd kill you, brother, if they turn you heel or turn you babyface because he didn't want to lose Muda. But, you know, I think he got homesick, whatever the fuck. They beat him four times in one night or three times in one night at that round robin tournament at Starcade uh, 89. And, future uh, shock. Future shock. He was shocked, all right. Because when they came up with that, and that Heard was pushing that a lot because he thought it was sports oriented, which was fine. But as you know, how are we going to figure these matches with four singles and four tags? Somebody's going to have to lose a lot in one night. And it was all of our top guys. And you should have seen trying to get the job out of the road warriors. And so they, <laughs> they beat Muda three times because he was the only one that couldn't fucking argue in English. And, you know, he got disenchanted and left shortly there afterwards, and there you go. But, uh, but you no, know, I, I did, uh, I did like Muda as a talent, and obviously he had a stellar and Hall of Fame career in Japan, and was one of the most integral parts of, of, you know, Japanese wrestling for twenty years after that, or whatever. And still, obviously, that they just had his retirement to this day, but, um. You know, com completely different talent as Muto as he was as Muda. And then he got the Muda gimmick over there, too, where he could switch and become Muda instead of Muto. And Well, Jim, on that topic, we can keep talking about this. I just want to say also on this show, once again, titled Great Muda Final Bye-Bye, <laughs> the Yokohama Arena, he challenged New Japan's Naito to be his opponent for the last match of Kiji Muto at the Tokyo Dome on February 21st. So that's the main event for the Tokyo Dome, February Wait a 21st. minute, they're, they're coming back and running the Tokyo Dome again six weeks after they just ran the Tokyo Dome? They're running, uh, let me just see what I can find here. Yeah, it is a joint New Japan, actually, talent from New Japan, NOAA, Dragon Gate, All Japan, Tokyo Joshi Pro, and DDT. We'll all be a part of this show, so it's a joint venture, and it is a. Uh, I'm trying to see if there's a name for it. The other one was Great Muda Final Bye Bye. There is no uh, official name. <laughs> this this one is Great Muda. Hello again. I was only lying. Oh, this is Pro Wrestling Last Love. <laughs> Pro Wrestling Last Love. Kiji Muto Grand Final Pro Wrestling Last Love. Well. I hope he finds his long-lost last love and whatever else he's looking for in the way of happiness. But yeah, so so he could have two retirements because he was two individual personalities. You know what? He came back several times after 1990. Like he would come back for like a pay-per-view and then he would disappear again. Even like into Nitro, he would show up. It was never the same. Like there was just a moment there from 89 into early 90 when the fans started turning him babyface and then he was gone where he was one of the most promising, one of the most special, one of the most intriguing wrestlers in the entire business, and I never felt that spark ever again whenever he would appear on WCW TV for a pay-per-view or whatever it may be. It was never there again for me. Well, it's because it, you couldn't do that just coming in for a shot and then leaving again. It was the 
And the first time around, it was the shock of seeing him and how good he was and how fast he was and how he could move and et cetera. And that slowed down over the years, too. But, you know, the the first time that he was the only guy really that that uh, TBS had brought in or that WCW had brought in under Turner that hadn't been there before that people really started talking about and was really getting over. Everybody else was you know, left over from Crockett, they were over from that, but TBS wasn't getting any new names over at that time. Other than drawing ability, completely other than drawing ability, he was WCW's 1982 Jimmy Snooker. Yes. He had the moonsault, people went crazy for it. The rest of the match, he couldn't take his eyes off the things he did. And then they started cheering for him, and we never got the babyface turn. And of course, the ba- the lack of drawing ability is not his fault because it was Turner Broadcasting, and they couldn't yeah, draw. No one could draw. Yeah. Dipped him in glue and drug him through Fort Knox, as I've said before. So he wasn't the Lone Ranger. Nobody else was drawn either. Jim, I have a question here sent on Twitter using the hashtag Corny Drive Through from Greer. With all of the travel wrestlers had to do within the territories. I'm curious on your thoughts about why RVs weren't more widely used to save on hotel <laughs> and even food expenses. <laughs> God damn it. Um, no, just no. I mean, you know, I mean, Dr. Death Steve Williams got a heck of a nice customized panel van one time. Uh, and some of the guys had vans, but an RV, no. Not only for the, can you imagine the gas expense? Because the gas expense would have blown the expense for a car out of the water. And even if you got four or five or six guys together, then honestly, you've, you're asking for trouble because you've got four or five or six wrestlers going on trips of hundreds of miles with a, a tight schedule. You ever try to run one of those RVs 80 miles an hour down the interstate consecutively on a consistent basis for a couple hours? You got four or five wrestlers in a fucking moving hotel room. I can't imagine what the after the match, you know, shit would have been like. Talk about the fabulous ones had a panel van. And uh, they're, they're, they're driving in whatever state they're in a giant you know, deadly machine weighing tens of thousands of pounds. You can't park those things hardly anywhere. You can't go through a drive through. Can you imagine pulling up to a goddamn arena when the, in those days when the fans wanted to cut the tires on the cars and there's an RV that pulls up with all the hottest heels in the territory. You can't miss it. Um, no. <laughs> and then it, a lot of times we'd be flying somewhere and then renting a car and driving a loop of three or four miles, you know, you, or three or four miles, three or four days. You'd have to start that RV wherever it was. And you'd have to take it to wherever you were going to go next. And there could be no flying involved in the middle. It, 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 no, it sounds like a nice idea. And I guess Cody getting a bus and Brock Lesnar getting a bus and some of these other people that have done it in modern times has romanticized it, but that's because A, they're making millions of dollars. B, 
they've got people that can put that bus where it needs to be picked up and they and the talent gets on it and they ride it around until they're finished and then they get off and go home and they take the bus some fucking where or what is it? it's a whole goddamn procedure so and they only wrestle once or twice a week or with the the modern WWE schedule before the pandemic was what uh the raw guys would wrestle on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, do Raw on Monday, and then be off. So at the most, they're wrestling four days a week, and they're routed to where they're somewhat in range of the next town. It, it, it No, the RV and the territory days for logistically, financially, criminally, it, none of it would have worked. All right, well, let's get our next question here. This one was sent to Corny Drive-Thru. Can, can you imagine the police reports being taken out of what would have happened on that? I think just the simplicity of handling the mileage is the disqualifier. You know, you, who could have an RV in Mid-South? How could it even yeah, be we, possible? <laughs> we, there, were, there were occasions. I mean, 2,000 miles was an easy week and wrestling every night, but there were occasions we were in a car nearly 4,000 miles in a seven-day period while appearing in a different city every single day. So that required some... You had to apply yourself determinedly on the road. You couldn't be poking along in the camper. Jim, our next question sent via email, thecornydrivethru at gmail.com from Kieran in Southampton, England. I am a merchant mariner, a.k.a. a sailor. (laughs) And I've been a big wrestling fan since I was a kid. I've noticed over the years that there's a lot of nautical terminology in wrestling. Why is that? Where did it start? Such examples would include when the commentators say that a match is underway. Or when someone who is in... What? Wait, what? (laughs) I think you've been in the Merchant Marine a little too long there, pal. Or when someone... (laughs) (laughs) Or when someone who is in their comfort zone would be referred to as their wheelhouse. Do people in wrestling know what these terms mean? Thank you very much. (laughs) <laughs> then he ends like Latka. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> I think underway is kind of, isn't it? Doesn't that belong to the world? Doesn't everybody in any walk of life say when something's going on, well, it's already underway or it's, you know, happening now? I mean, it's not that big of a stretch there. It's not really a wrestling term. And the other one that he mentioned, the wheelhouse, I. That's, again, something that's kind of a broad expression, at least here in this country, where if if someone is is either not familiar with something, they say, well, that's not in your wheelhouse, or if they are, well, that's right in your wheelhouse. But that's kind of a broad expression for any number of pursuits or genres or careers or manners of employment, right? So basically, are we just taking the piss out of this question entirely? Well, the term underway, I have to think anything, any sports event, any event. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine. The concert was already underway when we got there. Hey, wrestling's using that nautical term. We should start using it. I don't think that's the way it went. So I don't know. 
I thought he was. I thought he was going to say like slobber knocker is a nautical term or something. I don't. Um, I don't. I don't want this to be an anchor around our neck. This topic, but I can't fathom any reason why. Perhaps we ought to just throw the whole subject overboard. Ahoy! I mean, all right, we <laughs> could do that. Yeah, I fucking oh. cracked Stacy up one time. This was years ago. We hadn't been seeing each other long. And we pulled up to a Long John Silver's to get something to eat. And I pulled up to the fucking speaker and the woman said, can I take your order? And I said, ahoy. And she just cracked up. It's me and the midnight used to do that a lot. When we did Yama pit fighting and the original main event was going to be Tank Abbott versus Oleg Tartarov, a big rematch from the early days of the UFC before everything got screwed up because Tank did a job to Kimbo Slice and the Athletic Commission wouldn't let him fight again. There was a sponsor, and I forget who it was. It's not as simple, I don't think, as it's a sponsor named Ahoy. But Bob <laughs> Meyerowitz had some sponsor that was willing to pay Tank Abbott for the period of time from, whatever, early in the year until the pay-per-view. For any interview he does, any press he does for the event, he begins every sentence with Ahoy. <laughs> Ahoy! <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't happen, but I... I really wish it would have. It would have been a disaster, but I wish it would have happened. Hey, do you know where a pirate keeps his buccaneers? Where's that? Under his buccanat. All right, well, let's get another question here before we offend the uh, pirate audience. Jim, this was sent to Courtney Drive-Thru at gmail.com from John. I've always been under the assumption, perhaps incorrectly, that examples of cheap heat are insulting the crowd and wearing the jersey of a rival sports team. If I am correct, can you then explain how MJF is considered the greatest heel right now, given that the majority of his <laughs> shtick is cheap heat? Well, <sighs> and I think the topic's more about cheap heat than MJF. The, yes, the, well, the topic is, uh, here's the thing, a lot of people are of the opinion that there's no good cheap heat. And a lot of people are of the opinion, like I am, that it depends on the circumstances, the context, and the delivery. And again, the, the, the concept of cheap heat is that the premier practitioners of pro wrestling back in the pioneer days thought that your action should be what gets your heat rather than you purposely insulting someone or you purposely you know, uh, verbally attacking something or the town or whatever, or you purposely even doing something not verbal but visual, just on purpose to make people mad, that's cheap heat. And the thought was the real masters could get heat by just the things they did in the match being themselves and trying to win the match or trying to do their thing, and the people would boo that instead of, you know, them having to go to the links of insulting the town or the audience or whatever. But at the same time, to be honest with you, uh, that prevailing attitude a lot of times was left over from the pre-TV era. And, the, and there was, you know, it, it was not a thing where wrestlers did long promos and soliloquies on live house shows to where they're insulting people. With, with television and modern times, 
you've got guys like an MJF of this generation or me when I was doing it or Lawler was a smart ass or the Pipers sometimes or whoever was a smart ass heel there was an annoying arrogant egotistical wise cracking smart mouth those people get heat if you believe they are real if you're just coming out there and saying yeah the fucking Dallas Cowboys they suck right well then that's cheap heat but if if that is something that you would believably say while believably being yourself and every other thing then it's kind of it works still it works both ways. I didn't come out when I went to Texas. I didn't come out first thing and say the Cowboys suck. I said, ah, we're in Will Rogers Coliseum, the home of Will Rogers, who said, I've never met a man I didn't like. Well, you never met me, Will Rogers, and I've got as, about as much in common with some cowboy boot-wearing, crap-kicking Texan as a Martian with three heads. And I got the point across. So it, it just depends. Cheap heat. I think, you know, it, it, there there has to be a line. You can't just do it nonstop. Uh, Zabisco was the master of the stall, as they used to say it. A lot of that was cheap heat. Making people mad because you won't fight. Eventually, Lawler was like the master of that. Like on an indie show in the yeah. 90s. Oh, yeah. He would just walk around ringside with that microphone and never even get in the ring. Yeah, and and the people got their money's worth, and they you know never noticed the difference. So, so some people can pull it off, and some can't. And sometimes it's okay, and sometimes it's too far. And I I'm, I will say one thing, and then hold your thought. I had mentioned several weeks ago when they had teased the concept of making MJF a sympathetic figure that the first couple weeks afterwards he was on the people too much because he was trying to turn them back. And he's geared back on that somewhat. He's got such great material and he's got such great lines. And it's always great to, you know, zap the people every once in a while. If you keep the main gist of your business on what you're trying to sell a ticket to. But MJF was going overboard in a couple of instances there because I think he felt like he had to because he had been portrayed in such a babyface position that he, he was trying to overcompensate for that do you think cheap heat should be used the same way a big spot should be in the sense that if one wrestler is going out there on a show and insulting the local crowd that's it it shouldn't be multiple people going out there and saying hey fuck you pittsburgh it should be one guy on the show or should it be everyone yes no because everyone shouldn't say anything at all not everyone on the show should be allowed to speak whatsoever because that means that it it matters more when somebody does a main event guy or a guy that's being used or somebody with something to say or something to further along the issue. Not everybody just grab the microphone and do their little three minutes of fucking open mic night, bitch. And a lot of times they can't pull it off. They're not good enough verbally. It's not their wheelhouse. So no, it should be, you know, limited to one or if there's a couple people on the uh, on the card that have different things to say or whatever, but it shouldn't be beaten beaten into powder over the course of the same show by multiple people. Well, if you happen to have some cheap heat, maybe due to some chemicals, some exposure, some big companies, you know what? It's right in the wheelhouse of a man I know, Jim. 
That's right. If you have been poisoned or you have been damaged or you have been terminated or you have exposure, if you've exposed yourself in any way, shape, or form, this is the man you should call. Call Stephen P. What kind of exposure were you talking about, Brian, earlier? Were you talking about exposing yourself, exposing someone else, potentially exposing a double exposure? Well, for the record, if you expose yourself, don't call Stephen P. New. I just wanted to clarify that because you said it right before the Well, if you've been exposed to something that you shouldn't be exposed to, you may need to call Stephen P. Yes. If you've exposed yourself to this deadly material. It's your own fault. Well, you would, might not have known the deadly material was there, and then you exposed yourself to it. Then you've been exposed to Let's it, say, which is for different. Example, well, but you've exposed yourself to it because you put yourself in that position because nobody, through their own carelessness, told you that that material was there in the vicinity. And then you exposed yourself to it in an unknowing way. You didn't know that that material was there when you pulled your pants down and whacked your willy right in front of everybody. If it pleased the court, if it pleased the court, I want to present evidence here that there was poison ivy everywhere. He should have known that was not the place to whack his willy. Your Honor, these crooks here are innocent, and I'll tell you what. No, regardless of how exposed you are or are not, the point is that there's because of nothing you have done wrong. There's bad things all around. You could fall into signs could fall from the heavens. And land on your head, and it, boy, that's a grand slam. Thanks for that, Denny's. But I'll tell you, whether a sign has... <laughs> Those people in that car were seeing moons over my hammy all day long, I'll tell you that. But regardless, that's awful. That's so awful. it's terrible, and we should move on and forget that that ever happened. If you'd quit laughing, but I'll tell you folks, whether you've been whacked with a Denny sign or whether you've been exposed to plutonium while whacking your willy or whether you're like the innocent folks down in the state of Louisiana, several of those people are indeed innocent. We've been talking about this. The energy company that Stephen P. New is representing numerous individuals against is called Intergy. See, they, they just put a T in energy, and they think they got people fooled. They're changing their name, trying to stay ahead of the law. Intergy, the energy company down there, is a result of their negligence and other breaches of the public trust and faith caused a system failure that left southeast Louisiana without power. For a long time, the power outage occurred as a direct result of the foreseeable failure of Intergy's distribution and transmission equipment during Hurricane Ida because despite evidence, evidence that has been obtained by newlawoffice.com at 888-692-8084, despite evidence which proved the weakness and perilous condition of their equipment and systems, they didn't do nothing about it. Intergy chose profits over the people that they serve. Do you know 
that if they had made the decision to invest in underground transmission of electricity in an environment like southeast Louisiana that could have assured regular, consistent, and sustained protected service to all their customers, not just the affluent neighborhoods. That's the way they do it over in Europe and parts of Australia. But instead, they chose the bubblegum and superglue approach to protect billions of dollars instead of their customers. The customers pay the money in order to have electricity, and then Entergy took the money and gave it to all of their bigwigs instead of upgrading their equipment, and the hurricane huffed and puffed and blew it all down. Blew it all downtown. So they're going to pay through the nose for this shit because of Stephen P. New. And if you've got somebody that you'd like to see honking out some quarters and dollar bills out of their honker, I mean, quarters out of the right nostril and dollar bills out of the left nostril, just, just over and over, well, then you call 888-692-8084. Just like that, right out the nose. 888-692-8084-newlawoffice.com. They will, they will keep those nostrils honking. They'll look like slot machines at, at uh, Las Vegas with the, the quarters out the right nostril <laughs> and the dollar bills out the left nostril. Just yeah, I get it. Yeah. yeah. Newlawoffice.com. That's right. Newlawoffice.com. But Jim, let's get Not a- the old one. <laughs> Not let's the old new office, no. Let's get, a, <laughs> let's get a few more questions and wrap things up. <sighs> you all right over there? Yeah, I'm good. I'm just blowing out another quarter. Here's our next question sent to CornyDriveThru at gmail.com from Noah in Greater Boston. Do you know Noah? I don't know this Noah, no. I've never known Noah before. I've always wondered how it can possibly be somewhat accurately determined which wrestler drew money in a sold-out show, be it house, network, or pay-per-view. So many people went to see Hogan and Flair during their heydays, of course, but not necessarily towards the end, and certainly not at the very end. In my case, I would rather see Honky Tonk Man wrestle a match in person and pay to see that than the Ultimate Warrior, for example. To each his own. When Stone Cold and The Rock and Triple H and Undertaker and Foley and Big Show were all headlining, but not all headlining at the same time, How could it be determined, and who would decide based on any objective, empirical evidence, how to allocate who drew money and who did not draw as much? Thanks. Seems undiscernible to me, but you know more. Hoping to get an answer soon. Please write back here. Hoping to get the end of the question soon. Also, I might miss the podcast that you addressed this on, but I will keep listening. (laughs) Okay, well, you get the question. (laughs) It kind of trailed off at the end, but we hope you hear this, Noah. Well, it's not as easy to determine specifically who drew money in wrestling as it is. You can't quantify it necessarily like you can an album of uh, the Rolling Stones that sold this, or ticket sales for Led Zeppelin, they sold this because it's one act, it's one product from one... You know, this is is, is, this is not even like football, where it's a team versus another team. This is a 
bunch of individuals on the wrestling event. Commonly, rule of thumb, it, it, going back to the early days of wrestling and boxing for that matter, was that the main event's the one that drew the money. And that was without question almost always the case, 100% of the time, through the pioneer days and into the television era and et cetera. You know, and, and you can you can basically make the argument with any heavyweight boxing championship match or heavyweight wrestling title match that those are the biggest stars on that card. They're in the main event. That's the match people pay to see. Everything else fills out the show. Over the years in the television era with the territories, then still it was pretty obvious. You know, when 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 the old timers from the fifties, the Vern Gagnas and the Bruisers, and even the you know the Roy Shires, and when they booked a card, generally again the main event was by far the strongest match. Sam Muchnick, especially to the day he retired in St. Louis, paid the main event multiple times what everybody else on the card got because that was what you did. But then Watts and Eddie Graham and later on Jerry Jarrett and Dundee working with Jarrett and Lawler. Lawler just liked to book a bunch of matches. But they started booking package shows where even up and down the card, even if you've still got the guys that are your, you feel are your top guys in the main event or the your area's championship is in the main event, your card is four or five matches deep maybe six in the Superdome or a big show like that with angles where guys have your culminating a rivalry of some description with tag matches or stipulation matches or whatever, where there's an angle and a program behind everything. That was what they called a package show. And then it became a little harder to determine not only who was drawing the money, but also how guys got paid. And you've heard me mention that Watts would send out memos sometimes after the Superdome. I read one of them on the show here a while back where he said that the Superdome payoffs were spread over X amount of people over the top three matches this time because each of the three matches could be construed as a main event in its own right. And then it gets a little, and you know, when Uncle Dave does a list, which he actually just, did this past week in the observer does it every year where he updates the list of biggest drawing cards in the history of wrestling year by year. And then of all time, which is an estimate, a scholarly estimate, a learned estimate, but still just an estimate based on criteria that they've set up. Whether it be Steve Yohe and the, you know, the claw master and all the, historians that have compiled results and and kept you know newspaper articles from the past alive and etc that have contributed to this they go well how many how many cards of over 10,000 fans did this guy headline in the course of a year and where was the second place guy that's why the the um the all-time list is somewhat at the top you're pretty good, right? It's it's not a fucking argument, Jim Londos. 
and the you know the top couple, the Longsons and the Fezes. You can see it for the longevity for decades and the huge crowds. When you get down a little bit, I always thought that a guy like Jackie Fargo got shortchanged in that formula because a guy in the Northeast Territory or a guy in a place like Dallas where they did have the you know, the the big building or a big city like Chicago where they had the big building or a, a Sheik in Toronto was a huge drawing card, but he especially benefited from Maple Leaf Gardens being a big building because you could pinpoint all those people in these big shows drawing 10,000 or more people, but that might be once a month or once every couple, you know, weeks. Whereas you had a guy for year runs, years at a time like Fargo, in the Tennessee Territory, drawing 5,000 people a week in Chattanooga, 5,000 people a week in Birmingham, more than that a week in Memphis or whatever. And those smaller towns would add up to, if there was record of and if they were paid as much attention to, you see where I'm going with this, they would add up to probably comparable in some cases as the bigger, higher-profile guys. But let me ask you a question, though, because I think it's more in tune with the spirit of the email. The show where the Fargos returned, who did Zulu wrestle? Was that Zulu versus the Stomper? The Mongolian Stomper, yes. To argue over who drew that house. Exactly. There is always the the point you can make that, especially in the territories, when something else got hot or some other talent got hot, but you were still putting your heavyweight title or your you know recognized top guy in the main event even though the semifinal may have been the one they were interested in and that's that case is the first time in 10 years that more than 10 years that all three of the fabulous fargos had been in the building together in the same place same time in memphis was on the semifinal and zulu against the mongolian stomper for the southern title was on the main event zulu got credit for 3 weeks in a row of sellouts <laughs> At the Mid-South Coliseum, because the Fargos were underneath all that time. But that's what they were coming to see. So, they, it, it can be skewed. It's not an exact uh, measurement or an exact calculation. Just because the guys in the main event, especially in some of these loaded shows, the, the people may have been coming to see the other guy. Over a period of time, it kind of evens out where the, the promoters would usually be the ones to recognize so-and-so drew money because they were the ones that saw the bottom line and they were the ones that saw the finances on every show and they were the ones that were able to, ter to determine when so-and-so's on the card for me, I do better than I do with anybody else or almost anybody else. As Sam Muchnick said, what didn't he say his... His two of his three biggest drawing cards were Longson and Buddy Rogers. Was the other one Flair? I'm Did not he, sure. If I'm trying fair. to think. It was. It was two. Two were vintage, and one was more modern. But the point is that uh, Sam Muchnick was in in promotion for almost forty years in one of the major markets in the country, and he could pinpoint the three guys that drew more money for him than anybody else over that long haul because they had been been there and done it time and time again. And then you'd have guys who Andre 
didn't draw more money in each individual territory than the main event guys in the territories, but he drew more per capita per show that he was on. Because since he was always traveling around, you didn't get a chance to see him that often. He would pop a house in whatever territory he was in because they came to see him. But the area champion that was there for, you know, six months straight drew more money overall, just not that one big house because he was programmed and regularly and on top and over whatever. That's why Jerry Jarrett always said that per capita, per event, the biggest drawing wrestler that he ever booked was Roughhouse Fargo. Because he'd only bring him in once every couple or three years, but fuck, it would sell out if he did. And you would find that, you know, guys that were over in a territory would oftentimes outdraw the world heavyweight champion if they were in a hot angle or something, but that didn't mean that the world champion wasn't drawing more money than them in the entire country. See what I'm saying? But like when you look at something like a WrestleMania today, or I guess Smoky Mountain Wrestling Night of Legends, technically the main event was the six-man tag match. Right. Should any of those wrestlers be given credit for drawing that house? And the same thing applies to a WrestleMania, unless it's something just over the top, like, you know, Steve Austin's going to be teaming with zombie Buddy Rogers, <laughs> and people care! Like, unless it's something crazy. Yeah, no, it, well, there's, it, the Night of Legends was a concept show. And there were so many big names in it and so many varieties of things people were interested in that it would be hard to give even the main event guys credit, but they were the most integral to the success of the wrestling event, which is why they were in the last match. Uh, but with, um, with WrestleMania, with anything today, you can't really tell because they go to see, it's like, you know, which I've said this before, which, Globetrotter team are we getting? Are we getting Metal Ark? Are we getting Curly Neal? Are we getting Guy Sosby? Who are we getting? But we're still going to see the Globetrotters. We just hope that the, our favorites are there. They're going to see WrestleMania. They're going to see the spectacle. They're going to see the WWE Live. The people on the show, with few exceptions, it doesn't really matter. They're, they, Well, we've talked about it. If they announce Cena, that'll move tickets. They announce Brock, that'll move tickets. Every once in a while, they, they'll announce something else that'll move some tickets, but otherwise, the people that decide when they first hear about the show we're going to go are the people that end up going. They don't even advertise. You watch the commercials for the WWE when they do commercials in a local market. See stars like this guy, that guy, and the other guy. They don't advertise no matches. matches anymore. Yeah. No. And I mean, that used to be, my God, most promoters, I know if Christine Jarrett saw that the opening match was going to be changed because somebody's car broke down or whatever, she would have the ring announcer apologize and be contrite about it because every single match on the card had been advertised, not only on television, but in the newspaper. And if we didn't give them one, then that's false advertising. Now and and by the same token, if you hadn't given them any matches back then, nobody would have showed up. They would have said, "What the fuck? You're just telling us to go see wrestling? We can see that every fucking week. We want to know who's wrestling. That determines whether we're going to go or not, unless we're just the 
devoted faithful that go every week. And that's what it is. So not advertising a match, then nobody's coming to, you know, nobody's coming to see a match. And they advertise very few names, and then sometimes they change the names. So really, right now, the only wrestler in the WWE, only wrestlers that sell any tickets that wouldn't be sold just because WWE's coming to town are Cena and Brock, and maybe to a lesser extent, Roman. Is there anybody else? Can you think of anybody? Right now, no. Can you think of anybody that AEW puts on their shows that... In other words, is there anybody that serves the Cena position in AEW where we've had these tickets on sale, they're, they've moved about all they're going to move, but we're going to add this name, and suddenly, boom, more tickets. Is is anybody doing that? I think it depends on the market with AEW. You know, to use Punk as an example, I think Punk returning into Chicago or New York is a lot different than Fresno. Well, Punk can't return anywhere anymore because they ran him off. Well, you that's know what, what I'm saying. saying. I'm, right, I'm using right, him as an right example. Now, yeah. But right now, is there anybody that stands out of the AEW pack? And I'm not even downgrading any of their talent. I'm just saying, is there anybody that they can that they have available to them that they can add to a card that's already on sale and immediately bump up a bunch of tickets like Cena did for that last SmackDown or whatever. Is there any, I don't think so. I mean, they probably have uh, results that internally they know, but we don't know if an MJF a Moxley or any of these guys, Jericho, if they actually individually bump up any of these numbers. Well, you know, part of the reason is because they don't actually add these people afterwards. They just, you just expect you're going to see them all. And then (laughs) some of them don't show up and you're like, oh shit. So-and-so wasn't there. Jim, on the topic of AEW, and I probably should have used this as a setup for Stephen P. New. A lot of listeners have sent this image. I don't know if it's from a dynamite taping or from something else. Yeah. I'll read it to you. AEW fans. It's on the screen now, right? It's on their big screen. It's on their big screen. AEW fan code of conduct. Caution! Exclamation point. If you have a seat on the floor, you are at risk of being struck by persons, (laughs) objects, barricades, and other items. Please be aware of the action as you are watching and move out of the way if someone or something is coming your way. We put the burden on you. By staying in this area, hone your reflexes. Train. If you're going to a live AEW show, train for at least six weeks with a good coach that in dodgeball that can teach you how to get out of the way of shit. Go ahead. By staying in this area, You assume all risks of injury to yourself and to your property. And that is the AEW fan code of conduct. No, you don't. No, you do not. Is that code of conduct? Is that even a code of conduct? No, that's not a code of conduct. That's a disclaimer of, we think that this will prevent you from suing us if something happens. You go to an NBA Finals game at the uh, United Center in Chicago, see the Bulls, right? And you've got tickets right down courtside. And right before the game starts, they tell you, well, now it's up. It's your responsibility. Even though you're sitting in a seat in the area reserved in this arena for spectators, 
where you are a ticket purchasing patron, we have sold you. We have taken your money and provided you that seat and that place to sit. But even though we're supposed to play the game on the court, if the ball comes your way or the players come your way, it's your responsibility to get the fuck out of the way or elsewise, if you get hurt, it's not our fault. Do you think that will hold up in court when the Bulls run over some grandmother sitting in second row courtside and bean her in the head with the basketball and she sees triple for the rest of her life? This isn't even that specific. If someone behind you throws a bottle at your head, it's the same thing based yeah, on this. It, if you sit at ringside, anything could happen. This is a sporting arena where, and, and we are a licensed company that has sold you a seat to sit in a specific place and watch our performance. But just in case our performers can't keep themselves in their allotted area or throw something at you that might put your eye out or break your face, it's your responsibility to get the fuck out of the way. That ain't standing up. That is not standing up. That's just buffaloing and bluffing a bunch of the people in the building into thinking, well, shit, I guess we can't sue them now because they put that on the screen. Bullshit. I've been in enough lawsuits and not the good side of them either. If you or anything that you call have in your hands or are in control of, if you cause that thing to go out in the spectator area or you go out in the spectator area and hurt somebody, it's you fault. And you going to go to, to well, you ain't going to go to jail. You're going to go to the poorhouse because they're going to fucking find against you. That's the spectator area. This is the performance area. The twain is not supposed to meet. And they, the judge does not fucking take, oh, well, we warned them to get out of the way if we came at them with bricks. They don't take that. All right. So that's uh, the AEW fan code of conduct. <laughs> I thought it was going to be something like, and don't say mean things about our wrestlers. Jim, our last question sent to, uh, sent on Twitter using the hashtag point Our last question sent via Twitter using a hashtag corny drive through by several listeners. They wanted to get your take on this. An interesting exchange here. Dave Meltzer and someone I would know, I don't know how many other people know, David the Pile Driver Schwartz, who used to be on Adelphi University Radio in the 90s, he had a wrestling show. I'm actually now, you're ahead of me here on, on this fella. Well, he tweeted out, I guess him and Dave were uh, talking about something. In my opinion, even if Vern had Hogan become champ, the AWA would have still eventually folded because Vern still booked like it was the 1960s. And Dave Meltzer replied, if he had Hogan, champion or not, WWF's expansion fails. 100%. People today don't realize what a difference maker he was. Vern would have survived with Hogan easily. What do you think of the idea that Hogan was that big a difference maker and that all things being equal, nothing changes with the booking or anything else and there are no merchandise issues that Vern could have survived if he had just... If, if Vern had Hogan, Vince wouldn't have been able to expand everywhere that he did expand and he certainly wouldn't have been able to beat the AWA. No, Hogan meant 
all kinds of Hogan meant the world to the expansion, right? But it would have still gone on because you can't tell me, especially in light of modern day happenings, that when Vince McMahon gets an idea for something he wants to do just because the first person he wants to do it with might not be available, he, oh, oh well, shit, guess I'm going to scrap the whole thing, pal. No, he knew what he wanted to do, and Hogan was perfect, but as we've mentioned, you know, there could have been other people, or he could have gone with Savage, or he could have gone with fucking... Well, wouldn't have been Savage at that point, but Dusty is one that everyone points well, to. Well, you know, and, and Vince said that he would have gone with Dusty if he hadn't got Hogan, but he would have, whoever had come along, even if it was a year or two later is what I'm saying, Savage wasn't there right then, but he came along the next year, he was wanting to do that, and he would have found someone to enable him to do it it would have taken longer it might not have been as massively successful but it but no that doesn't mean that that Vern especially because yeah Vern was red hot in the first half of the 80s but that wasn't just due to Hogan that was due to a lot of that talent and just having all the tv and and riding roughshod over everything once there was competition and once that his talent was getting hired away because that if Vince didn't get Hulk Hogan that doesn't make Vern a better payoff man so Vince was going to get somebody and by the way 84 for the AWA still stayed pretty hot with the Road Warriors yeah because he had the Road Warriors there but that he couldn't keep them because Crockett could pay him more so the point is it wasn't like that Vern was still going to be in business, the, the, the last man standing all this time later, if Hogan hadn't left, it would it would have happened the same way, just pr- possibly not as successfully for Vince and possibly not as quickly. And and there's a there's a chance that maybe Crockett could have outlasted him or got the the lead, but I don't think anybody's ever floated the idea that Vern would have been the one to last or win the whole thing or make it or whatever. Greg has. Well, besides Greg. What do you think of Dave's point? It's interesting, too, that people today, especially a younger fan, wouldn't really understand how special Hogan was, his place in popular culture, in 83 going into 84, and then, of course, everything explodes in 84 and 85. Well, yeah, well, uh, well, that's duh, because the... The fans who weren't around then to experience that have no frame of reference. They think that today's wrestling and and wrestlers are popular because they see it on TV and because they know a bunch of other people that like these wrestlers. They don't understand. And they think that when I say it or when anybody else says, ah, they're just bitter or they're old timers or whatever. But no, the... The wrestlers of today, good, bad, or indifferent, ones we like and ones we don't like, are still nowhere near as well-known, as popular, or as over as wrestlers of 30 and 40 years ago. And so you can't understand exactly how you know over a guy like Hogan was when he was the most over of the bunch of them. But it... it, it, it and, and you know, Hogan got the big uh, recognition nationally with Vince's expansion. But before that, there were still multiple pro wrestlers that if you asked in major American markets, you know, who's your favorite pro athlete? 
wrestlers would get mentioned. Dusty'd get mentioned in Florida or Georgia. Bruno'd get mentioned in New York. Lawler'd get mentioned in Memphis. JYD in New Orleans. JYD in Louisiana. Danny Hodge in Oklahoma. Fucking Blassie in California at one point. Or Stevens in Northern California. They're, they were always in the conversation. Now that's not the case. So nobody in wrestling today is as over or as notorious, as they say, as Hogan was then or as a variety of the top guys were then. The audience is smaller. The TV is smaller. Nobody's on local broadcast television, so you don't have, you know... It, you, you you used to have, in a variety of markets, in the U.S. and Canada, the local wrestler would be one of the most well-known professional sports figures in that town because of their longevity and because they were from there and had been on local television in that town for years. Now there's no local TV. So nobody's a fucking local celebrity in any town of any size. Maybe the last ones were heart, the hearts in Calgary. But so, yeah, so it is easy for people now not to understand how much more popular overall, more known, uh, more recognized that the top wrestlers were then than they are now because they weren't around then. They didn't experience it, so they can't figure it out. I hope everyone figured out everything you were going to figure out this week because the drive through is closed. So closed, in fact, we'll return with a song next week. Hold on, let me find this. This is all the way across my desk. Wait a minute. I got a song for you. Oh, no. Hold on one second. I'll get you a song. Is it Glass Onion? Was the song Glass Onion? That's the, the song, Glass Onion. The dirty song that you had from the Beatles? No, I thought that was that. that new Here Comes movie. the Sun. <laughs> is it Here Comes the Sun? Well, that would rhyme with that other word, but anyway... Um, <laughs> And you just you, 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 you just said Penny Lane. that the, the drive-thru was over with, so let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. Of course, you can hear more this weekend on The Experience, a big episode. We review AEW Dynamite and the Royal Rumble this weekend on the Jim Cornette Experience, wherever you find your favorite podcast, and back here next week on The Drive-Thru. Of course, get access to the archive, patreon.com slash Cornette. For $5 a month, you get to hear Shows from the very beginning in 2013, patreon.com slash Cornette. Go to the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. Subscribe today. <laughs> Subscribe today. Full episodes, clips of episodes, omnibus collections, all with the very popular Travis Heckle artwork. The official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. You can follow Jim on Twitter at the Jim Cornette. You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And don't forget about the wrestling news at thewrestlingnews.com or wherever you find your favorite podcasts, Arcadian Vanguards, The Wrestling News. Ladies and gentlemen, the time is right. The time is here. Cameo season at jimcornette.com. What's going on, Jim? Saturday, January 28th, this coming Saturday, noon Eastern. Get them while they last. After a few hours, uh, they may be gone. Get in there early when things get underway. JimCornette.com. It's in my wheelhouse. Of course, the drive-thru is brought to you by the law office of Stephen P. New, 888-692-8084. Stop exposing yourself 
and newlawoffice.com. But for Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Laz. I usually say for the next week's episode. Until we talk to you on the experience, and next week we'll be right back here on the drive-thru for Jim Cornette. I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho! Well, it's Jim Cornette's drive-thru. Yes, it's Jim Cornette's drive-thru. Please shut up and listen while Corny is shooting. Yes, while Corny is shooting, I'm big fucking Putin and those outlaw macho fucks. Joey Ryan, the young bucks, the rednecks and dumb fucks, and them door corner bum fucks. And then there's Jelly Janella, and Santino Marella, the boogeyman, the boogeyman, the boogeyman. Corny's drive through. Corny's drive through. Corny's drive through. Well, it's all elite wrestling. Tony Khan is investing his billions of dollars in some dumb cosplay wrestlers. Yeah, they think they are wrestlers in video games just like Kenny Omega. mighty cult of cornets, and to the pro wrestling for which he stands. No blow-up dolls, kick spots, or dance routines, with blood, sellouts, and shoot angles for all. And have you heard about Riho? She weighs 45 kilos, and she's their champion, she's a Japanese schoolgirl. All the Japanese schoolgirls like Kenny Omega love to play with his Sega. Yeah, they play with his Sega. You need to sue the guy for you. Steven, Pedro, everybody. Corny's drive-thru. Corny's drive-thru. Corny's drive-thru. Corny's drive-thru. And now, here are your hosts, Jim Cornette and the great Brian Lass.